Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andre from the Opinionated Podcast, and I just want to remind you that we are live every Sunday on our Facebook page, and you can find us wherever you stream your music at the Opinionated Podcast. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. So remember to like, share, comment, and don't forget to subscribe. Enjoy the show. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, yo, look at Dre's face. Dre's face is pissed the fuck off. He's like, why would you get the clap? Because I can, we nigga. And we got, again, nigga. we got a friend here today, a very good friend. We got Trey. What up, Trey? That's right. Uh, yeah, please. GA71. GA71. Hit I was waiting for this. Boy. Hit the class with this nigga. Thank you. Exactly. We deserve it. This nigga Dre mad. <laughs> Those clouds are loud. Mad. Those claps are loud. That's Martin all. Time. The claps are loud. So while while you guys were having your technical difficulties, we were really we were, well, we weren't talking too deep, but it was getting to the point where we were we were talking, and I'm like, no, 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 hold up, we gotta hold this shit because it's a lot what of stuff you? that we gotta get to. What was y'all talking about? Yeah, right. They always starting a party without a nigga, man. Well, no, no, no. We 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 started talking, and it just to me it was interesting. I have a lot of questions. This is my friend, but I have a lot of questions. But we're gonna start at the beginning. You from from the ATL, man? What was life like growing back well, up? Well, well, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Well, you well, from Georgia? This. Yeah, my bad. This it, it, it's been a crazy misconception for my entire musical career about my demographics, right? So I'm from south of Macon, which is about an hour and a half, close to two hours away from the city of Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? So I'm from a spot called Dooley County. It's a little, small, southern country town. There's not many people here. You know what I'm saying? But it's um, it's diverse. It's rich in culture, if you would say. It's, it's deep south, so it's good country food. Um, I enjoy the lifestyle. Like, I enjoy it more now as an older person. But growing up, I realized that um, it kind of, like, molded me and made me ready for anything. It's kind of like when people say, if you can make it in, if I can make it in New York, I can make it anywhere. Well, I feel that way just with the opposite dynamic because I'm from the country. There's not a lot of people here. So I kind of like feel like, well, shit, if I can make it here, I then mean, I can make it anywhere. But yeah, it's a little bit southern, uh, a little bit south of Atlanta or whatever. All right. See, okay. I, I'm, an, I'm up north dude, right? And we got this whole miscon... Uh, Misconception. Misconception of how the yeah. shit goes down when in the South. Like, was it a lot of racist shit going on down there? Because automatically a dude from the North Jer- Jersey and shit in New York area, like, yo, this that must have been mad racist growing up as a kid. Was it any time that shit happened down there? Um, know? yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. I'm going to be honest. I went to a school. My school I went to was Dooley County High School. To be honest with you, bro, it was pretty much a black school. We had another school in our county called Fullerton. And that's pretty much where I guess um, the white people went or the privileged kids went. And if we had white people in our school, it was pretty much there for our sports. You know what I mean? They came to play baseball, basketball, football, or whatever it is that they excelled in. But as far as having um, racist things happen, hell yeah, you would, you would, when we was younger, you know, we sold all the weed and shit, and you would sell weed to a white boy right off and call you a nigga. Like you just bought weed from this corner, but you would ride off, you know what I mean, and call somebody a nigga. But, yeah, so we dealt with that, but it wasn't like um, it was no type movie shit. Like I ain't never had to run down on nobody because they was being disrespectful in a, in a racist manner. But as far as um dealing with it, yeah, of course, it's it's Bro. the soft still. Now I mean, you still deal with it, even if it's just um subtly. 
yo, somebody, yo, selling somebody something and them riding off saying, thanks, nigger, is fucking <laughs> yeah. insane. Insane. Yeah, that's a true story. Yeah, and it was a couple of us out there. We still talk about this thing. My question is, did they come back and purchase again? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Man, I used to be drunk cars <laughs> and all that little situation. <laughs> but, Allegedly, um, though. I, 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 would, I would probably bet. I would probably bet they did. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you. I would probably bet so, they did, though. Where else were they going? And only see y'all. <laughs> so you grew up in the same, we yeah. all around the same <laughs> age, bro. <laughs> we all around the same age yeah. and shit. And, and of course we're going to get into this music thing. But at, around that time, I remember Outkast coming out. I'm like, who the fuck are these dudes? Right. Like this whole South movement started happening. And like, what did it feel like? What was the energy down in Georgia when y'all heard, like when they start letting like dudes from the South, because you did have at the time, um, uh, Houston Boys. Uh, oh, no. Nah, nah, they was out first in the eighties. Um, but but then you had these dudes from uh Atlanta area where you was at coming out. Like, what was the energy around in y'all state when they came out? Um, so my history would be the Houston Boys. Like you, you, you might be thinking about like um Scarface and Bushwick Bill, or you might be thinking about um. Like even Slim Thug, you know, with the Chop and Screw movement, a lot of people don't know. Like Slim Thug with DJ Screw, they was already popping as artists. You know what I mean? Just on that underground circuit, so to speak. But as far as the music, man, it was it, was, it, it happened quickly. And you gotta remember, like I followed music very closely, like distinctively, because I came out like I grew up in the hip hop era when Master P started to come out. And I don't know how closely y'all followed Master P, but Master P literally dropped an album every week or every other week. Like, if you go back and do the history of No Limit albums, I know he probably had a crazy run when he dropped the album three times a month. You know what I'm saying? At least. And I'm talking about these albums was going platinum. You know what I mean? So these are the artists that we grew up on that y'all probably never even heard of. Like, like before Mystical and all of the shit he got going on now, like, we grew up on Mystical. We grew up on Pete as far as, like, his, his records, like, Ghetto Dope. So, it really, it really like took off kind of quickly to the point that the artist that we did have that was locally like a Kilo Ali, um, um, Ghetto Mafia, like some of these smaller groups, so to speak, that was bubbling in our, in our, I guess, so to speak, area. Um, when these other artists started to pop like an outcast and they started to get this international recognition or this mainstream recognition, it was, it, it changed the whole scope of music. You know what I mean? That's why you started to see. If you ever paid attention to the South, the South has what I like the stages of music. And it went from where you had outcasts, where they call that like pimp music or Cadillac music. And then you go to, uh, you can skip to Lil John, you get crunk music, then you skip to T.I. and you get trap music. And in between that, you get what they call snap music and come back and get geek music. And, all the way down, and now you got drill music out of Chicago. But I, but in in the South specifically, you went through all these periods of music. I, I, I skipped the period because you missed the hot boy era. As far as um, they just had their own genre, even though they was doing hip hop, it was just flashy and it was just it was just very influential as far as what you wanted to be or what you attained to in the South. And a lot of the guys that I grew up with, you watch them go from being, even if they had money, like you watch them go from being um, 
one of my things I tell my dogs right now, the reason why they call the South slow, so to speak, is because a nigga have money in the South, but he's not necessarily going out to buy the things that y'all consider fashionable or the things that, that put you ahead of everybody else. Because when you think about the New York scene, the only thing that changed are, are the differentiating niggas getting money in the South and niggas getting money in the in the North is a nigga got money in the South, he might go buy a 1964 or a 1972 Chevy, put some crazy rims on it and paint it. A nigga up North, mm. he might go buy the brand, a new Ferrari. You know what I'm saying? And so to the general mass, that new Ferrari makes it look as if, oh, he doing more than this guy. But it's really just a perceptive look, really. And that's how I looked at music growing up. Music took us from um, just being real laid back. If you go from T.I. just being this laid back character who told you sold drugs to you see Baby, who's a flamboyant gangster. You know what I mean? And that that, that was just a parallel with the music. Um, Outkast had a different impact because their music was was I guess it was it had more substance or more substance to it Absolutely. as far as what it did for the culture. But the yeah. influence came from Pete, um Baby and Cash Money, T I, then you get the Jesus movement, and that's how music really evolved for us. And it happened really quick. Like I like the rest of the world caught on to the South as far as music goes, kinda rapidly. You know, I'm considering the birth yeah. of hip hop to where it is now. I, I remember back then, like when when the South was. It's funny to say this when the South was rising in the music industry. Um, the way they took over and came with a storm, it was nonstop. Even to this day, <clears throat> um, a lot of the music yeah. is influenced by the down south producers, the beat makers the the style the swag the cultural essence of a lot of things that's going on and i seen like it, it started it felt like it started in new york it went to the west and then it went down south and down south has right. has had a hold of it for a while i mean going from atl now memphis is running shit a little bit you know what i mean so right, right. How, how do you feel right. when it comes to y'all being at the top of y'all game right now above everybody else how does that make you feel um, towards, you know, your cultural um, history from being down south and, and working and using that same tool, you know, coming up north? Because remember, we was we was we all met in Jersey. You know, what I mean, Be became friends in Jersey. How was it Correct. taking your style from down south, bringing it up north and blessing oh, people oh, with that? I'm sorry. I don't get too far. Get too far ahead. Yeah. Let me rewind it. Sorry, let me no, rewind no, it. No, no. Let me rewind. Go ahead. Okay, when but I, I like that question. Rapping? I got you. I got you. Go ahead. <laughs> when did you start rapping? Um, and I, I know, I know we, I got yeah, you. let's so just start. I, yeah. I got you. I got you. So I really, I started rapping, Um, I want to say I was probably 11. And I was actually freestyling over like uh, Outkast. We used to have this artist down here called Jam Pony. I don't know if y'all ever heard of Jam Pony from Florida. But Jam Pony yeah. was a mixtape DJ from Florida. And he'll be spinning the hottest records, but throughout those records, he's dropping the beat and supplementing the words from the song with his own words. You know what I mean? And that's kind of yeah. like how I started. My cousin got me Jam Pony tapes. And I started listening to Jam Pony really um, change a person's flow on their beats. Around the same time, you had people doing stuff like Jack and Full Beats in the hip-hop community. And I always was a... a 
go buy CDs from the CD person. You know what I mean? Like, I always went to Walmart about CDs. Uh, I was I got I was privileged to be in a CD club at a very young age, so I got all the R&B CDs. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember the little club they used to have. You buy little CDs and get. You know what I mean? I was in that club. I got it for a Christmas yeah. present one year. I got that and a stereo. So every month I'm getting two new CDs, and it, and it might be Faith Evans and D'Angelo. You know what I mean? But I was so involved in music that I um I listened to these albums over and over again. I, I could probably sing some of those Faith Evans entire albums to you guys, like seriously, because it was only it was just new music. It was fresh. My dad was in the gospel when I was younger, so I didn't grow up with my dad. But when I met him. I started to go to these gospel concerts with him. He played the guitar, so I used to always be I used to always be around musicians at this point in my life, like around from eleven to forever. And it started me to like write poetry. So then I started to write poetry, and people used to challenge me to rap. Cause I used to I used to pass poetry books around the high school. I still got poetry books floating around from high school that I wrote, and people used to look at some of my poems. And think that this was lyrics. So, and this, these are, I'm telling you real shit. And I used to go to little, I guess, house parties or porch parties or whatever you want to call them. And they used to battle me. I want to freestyle against me. And I think that's what clicked in me when I realized, oh, I can do this. So the cousin that got me to jam on the tape, he was big in music too. He was just a listener, just had an ear for music. So whenever new music would come out, and he was he's probably 10 years older than I am. So whenever new music would come out, he would come grab me and we would just ride around and whatever he's riding around at the time and just be listening to these songs, just listening to this music. And it came one day, he challenged me just to freestyle and just, just rap. So I'm just rapping, I'm rapping and you know, he's like, oh, oh yeah, you can rap. You know what I mean? So at this time, I'm still not taking it seriously, but I'm writing a lot. Now I'm writing a lot. I'm drawing album covers for myself. This is at 12 years old. Like <laughs> I'm drawing album covers for myself. I'm giving myself rap names. I'm, Naming albums, naming songs, the albums I never stepped foot in the studio. I'm just inspired to do this. And um, I remember taking an old stereo and a new stereo that I that was purchased for me, and I started dubbing the tape. Like, I think everybody who didn't have a studio did back in the day. I would take beats or take somebody else's beat, turn it down enough so that I could rap over it on another tape with the other mm-hmm. radio. And I did that for a while, and I just I just honed my crab, and I guess the rest is history. So, being now you say you started rapping at probably like eleven or twelve, and so at that age, who was it? Because we don't really have a sound for ourselves. Who was really impressionable on you? You know, you know that you wanted to sound like. Um, Maybe you wanted to have their style before you got your own voice. I had two artists. It's funny you said that I had two artists that I listened to. They were both no-name artists. One was Mystical, and one was a guy by the name of Mr. Magic. A lot of y'all might know Mr. Magic from when Roy yeah. Jones dropped the album later after his um, boxing career, and he had a song called Do It Big Then. Yeah, yeah, that's Mr. Magic on the hook. So I used to listen okay. to these two artists, and I wanted a combination of their voice. I wanted to sound like Mystical and Mr. Magic put together. Mr. Magic had a raspy voice, too. But he had a, a harmonizing way of, of rapping. And Mystical, if anybody listens to Mystical, he's very unorthodox. You know what I mean? So I used to listen to him, but he's very lyrical. So you really listen to Mystical, he's very lyrical. He's a great storyteller. 
but he just unorthodox. But he, but, but his pattern of rapping is very good to me. It's unique, but it's, it, it did something to me. So I just wanted to sound like those two guys. And it, it, I'm going to be honest, it kind of worked for me. Mm. So, okay. so saying, so saying that, because eventually you, you gotta evolve and people hearing your stuff and people probably coming back to you and saying, Hey, you sound like X and Y, Z. As you got older, mm-hmm. when did you start developing into this is Trey? You know, I gotta separate myself from these guys so I can have a distinct sound. Uh, when I migrated to the north, when I got, when I turned 18, I came to New Jersey for a family reunion. And um, they had already, I had already been sending music to New Jersey to certain uncles that lived in New Jersey because they wanted me to. By this time, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit. By this time, I had started recording music with my dad in his living room because he had all this equipment, okay. but he didn't have a studio per se. So we just literally he would play the guitars and drums, and we would make live beats. And he still has all his music too, but he would make live beats. I mean, um, just do live instrumentation. I would rap over to make whole songs. And I used to press these songs and send them to New Jersey to my uncle and them. And really out of just out of out of out of faith. Like I felt like New Jersey was closer to New York, so if I can at least get this music to New Jersey, not even at this time y'all remember, it's not a music scene to go to in Atlanta. It's musicians out of Atlanta, but they're all based out of New York. And I'm the person, I'm telling you guys, I was the person that really went and bought I'm the person that really opened albums, looked at where it recorded, who mixed this project, who EP'd the project. I'm reading the lyrics, trying to see how people are writing songs. Um, so I'm really trying to get music to the big city. And my uncle had called me, um, maybe when I was like 17, and he had, and I'm, I'm trying to make a decision that I'm going to do out the high school. And um, so he called me, and he's telling me, yo, you need to send me some music. Like, send me some music so I could, I got this friend. And that's all I knew. But it was enough for me. So I was sending music and everything. And I eventually came with my family from Georgia to New Jersey because we got uh, a number of people that live in New Jersey as well. And so we came up for a family reunion. And I just never left. They asked me to, uh, I met some guys from Canada who even wasn't the guys that I was sending music to in New Jersey. And um, they asked me to rap on one night. And I did. And the rest... The rest was history. I never left New Jersey, and we just kept it going. Yo, all right. Listen, <laughs> listen. Because I'm gonna be honest. All right to get to give some to get some backstory to our relationship here. Um, and at okay. this time, me, me and Kev, me and this Kev, uh, Kevin Durant, we was making beats. And um, right, just to rewind a little bit, and then I, I like I want you to pick up exactly where you left off. So. Okay. MySpace, right? Right. We on, this is how everything transpired. MySpace, we scrolling. We making beats. For how long was we making beats for, Kev? At that point in time. <laughs> Maybe a couple of, not even a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. Well, it hasn't even been a year yet. It was like maybe a few months. On some, we was making on some bullshit too. We was making it off of a PlayStation and dumping that shit into a computer. <laughs> right. So right, so we we looking right. We on MySpace because we put our shit up on MySpace, and we see we. Sc- I don't know how the fuck we came across your profile. I have no fucking right. clue, no idea. 
All I know is I think you had the background. Your background was like Georgia or or, or something. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Like like map. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somehow we wind up um, saying, yo, like, I don't know how we figured out that 420, which we'll get to. 420, mm-hmm. the studio was connected to you in some way. So we go take our beats like, yo, we should just go up there and just play some beats. Play some beats um, for the for the people. We will get into those names later oh on. Um, I remember that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and we had a cut. We had, yo out of maybe fifteen tracks, maybe I don't know. We had maybe two that we knew. Like dog, we knew if anybody heard these, then at least they'll listen to what the fuck we got to say. So right. played the beats, whatever, whatever. It was like yeah, them Jones is yeah, they all right, whatever, whatever. Nothing happened. Then we, they called us, I don't know how many, how many months later and said, yo, y'all should come up here and intern or, or whatever, whatever we wound up doing, just work up there for a little bit. And mm-hmm. at, I believe at that night that we went up there, that's when we met you. It was like maybe 12 o'clock in the motherfucking morning, dark, the A room, dark as hell. And that's, that's where we, that's where we met you right there. You right? Because you was the dude when you walked through the building like, yo, that's that that's that nigga. Came in with the change like, this is the top goal out of everybody. Right, right. right. I agree. <laughs> just, to set the stage for people, just to set the stage for people who listening because that's that's how we met you, you know what I'm saying? And over time, over time, and I promise we'll get back to everything. Over time, what will happen is, especially after that situation kind of like went away a little bit, the one thing I know is that anytime you were doing something, even when Kev Kev stopped making beats with me, um, you would call me. You would right. always call me anytime you was ready to do something, anytime you wanted to make music, whatever. Always call me, like, bro, bro I, I need some beats, or yo, like, even with the podcast, he, you know, what I mean, keep up with the podcast. He would always call, and I always respected that, bro. That's you know what I'm saying. I, 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 I'm gonna, yeah. I, Meek Mill or somebody, I, I think it was Meek. He said it in a song one time that I don't blame these niggas. I blame the old head. I really salute the guys who 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 mentored me, man. Like I had great OGs, and I and I I don't I don't never shy away from telling people that. Like I don't I, I make sure people know that the people who instill values and morals and principles in me, like they meant it. And it came, and it came from a good space and I got great relationships with these people. And honestly, that's why I still do a lot of the things that I do now. Or, or I still move the way I move now is, is because of those people for real, for real. So yeah, I'm always reach out. I'm always have love for those. Cause, cause honestly, man, in that time we grew up together. I tell everybody I meet in life now that those guys that I spent in that, that time in the studio with, that we grew up together. Like a lot of them, I watched them have their first kids. I watched them have they 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 bad breakups, they good breakups. I watched them fall in love. I watched them have have parental issues as far as with their parents. I I went through everything with them. You know, what I mean, I shared every emotion outside of trying to chase a musical dream. And if you've tried to chase a musical dream, you've already gone through every emotion. But mm-hmm. to still go through like life emotions, like I it. I, it's hard for me to have friends now because those places are already filled in my life. You get what I'm saying? Because I've, because I share so much time with these people. And then you gotta remember these relationships always is on an intellectual level because we're creating shit out of nothing. So it's almost like, and this shit fucks with people when I say it like this, but it's almost like 
the brothers that I call my brothers, it's almost like, like <laughs> we had babies together. You understand me? Because nothing else comes out of thin air but a fucking baby. You know what I mean? And it's not out of thin air, but you know what I mean? Like where it's just two people coming together, taking whatever it is they have and then creating something out of that. And a lot of people don't know how, for me, that's, that's deep because you can't do that with everybody. I don't care how far you go in life. You're going to, you, I don't care what team you work on. Yeah. The job, you're going to do it because you're forced to do it as a means of making money. But when you're talking about taking people who have no real backgrounds, who have no real um, connections to each other, as far as other than being human. We, I'm from Georgia. You're from a part of New Jersey. Dre is from another part. Of, I mean, Kev is from another part of New Jersey. The other Kev is from another part of New Jersey. And that's why I say if I can make it from here, I can make it anywhere because I came to a whole nother state in which I had nobody, because I told you the music I was sending didn't even go to the people I thought. I mean, the people I ended up with wasn't the people I was sending music to. So I was really presented a totally group, a whole new cast of people mm-hmm. from my life that I had lived for 18, 19 years at this point. And I, like I said, I, I, I experienced their emotion with them. So to cut off now, it would be impossible. Damn. So speak, speaking on that, cause you just talked, you just touched on the New Jersey thing and we go, now we want to backtrack. Right. What was the music scene that you was feeling when you first came in New Jersey? And like, how did you feel as though you had to start trying to fit in coming from the South now coming up, you know, up to North and bringing your sound to, I ain't gonna lie. Us Northerners are fucking ignorant to the rest yeah. of the world having a fucking sound of music. Bro, it was a complete culture shock. Like, completely. I came to Camden. I came to Camden, New Jersey. So I had been coming to Camden as a kid my entire life. So every summer, I would get out of school for the summer. Like I said, I didn't grow up with my with my dad. So I had an uncle who who technically wanted to take me as a child and raise me as his kid, but he lived in New Jersey, right. and it didn't happen. So every summer... I get out of school, be out of school for a week. He'll show up in Georgia, pick me up, bring me to New Jersey. I get in New Jersey, and I had a group of friends from Silver Street, uh, Tulip Street, White Wife Avenue that I, I'm still cool with to this day. That I kind of like grew up with, you know what I mean? So, but even still, I say all that to say, but even still, coming up as a as a young adult, it was a culture shock because now I'm privy to doing certain things I wasn't necessarily doing as a child. I'm privy to the lifestyle that's really going on in Camden. And um, I'm going to be honest, for days, for days, bro, I, I, for weeks, rather, I probably didn't, I was in the studio every day, but I probably didn't make no music. I just studied. I just really studied. Even the music that people was listening to. Because in Georgia, before coming to Georgia, before 19, bro, I listened, I'm going to tell you the, the few North albums that I bought. I'm going to be 100 with you. I bought Jay-Z's Black Album. No, no, I'm sorry. I bought bought Jay-Z's. Is the Black Album the one with Eminem and Renegade? Shit, no, that was, um, was that the Blueprint? I bought the Blueprint. blueprint. It might have been the Blueprint, yeah. I bought Blueprint. I bought Styles P, the Ghost Album or whatever, where I get high on it. I bought Jada Kiss. Yeah, the Ghost and the Gentleman. I bought Jada Kiss. Um, the album with um, so much dope. You gotta use the 
scared their way to Wales with. I bought that album. That's why we got along. Um, and that was probably like, and I, and I had listened to Biggie, of course, but that was probably like the most Northern rap I had listened to as far mm. as, oh, and, and some DMX because that cousin of mine, he was a very, very big DMX fan. Other than that, it was just the hits from New York that I would hear. When I came to New Jersey, I was introduced. First of all, they took me over to Philly. And I don't know if y'all remember back in the day, you could go to Philly and buy mixtapes. And I'm talking about all mm-hmm. kind of mixtapes from everybody. So, and beats and beats and beats. And so I used to go to um, Philly. We used to go to Philly like every two days. And I used to buy all these mixtapes because now I'm studying hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not just rapping no more. And I'm being privy to the lifestyle that you hear about in a lot of the songs. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 trust me, in, in Georgia, where I'm from, we got a lot that goes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come down here, it's not no cops riding around, so it's going to be a little bit more wild, wild westish. You understand what I'm saying? But when you go to New Jersey and you're talking about Camden, somewhere where it's very impoverished, where it's, where it's um, drugs on every corner, I tell people now, man, and I, at CMD, y'all know I love y'all, but it's not a good street in Camden. You know what I'm saying? I'm just being a hundred, which is not to me per se. And okay. and I have a son that just moved. I just was fortunate enough to move him out of Camden. So um, I say this from the most endearest part of my heart. Camden is a hard place to grow up in, a, a hard place to navigate through, a hard place to work in. Like I, I, I'm willing to bet you, eighty percent of the people from Camden don't even work in Camden. You understand what I'm saying? That's right. how crazy Camden is. People don't even think about shit like that. But I fell in love with this city. And when I did, bro, it really just changed my whole scope on music. You know what I mean? So a lot of people talk about making um, reality rap. Like, I really made reality rap my entire life. If you go and listen to any of my songs, any of my mixtapes, and you just listen to the story with then I'm telling you something that actually happened or something I experienced, something I went through. Um, something I could call somebody on the phone and say, yo, you remember A, B, C, and D? You know what I'm saying? And But it was it was impactful to answer your question. Like, coming to New Jersey, it changed my whole flow pattern. You understand? It changed, it changed, it changed how I understood how to write music. It changed how I wrote hooks. It changed, it changed how I approach music purely. Like I, I then, when I came to New Jersey, it made me want to be respected for making music, not just, oh, I'm making music. Nah, I want y'all to listen to my music and say, oh yeah, he's lyrically inclined. Mm-hmm. I want y'all to listen to my music and say, yo, he's picking some of the best production. And they ain't just making beats, they producing records. And I wanted you to, to, to realize, like, even with swag and all of that, you understand? Like how you dress, how you, how you carry yourself, how you talk to women. Like, I'm telling you, it, it had a major effect on on everything for me. That, that was that was a difference with me, right? So, like, in seeing, in seeing, like, how you worked, to me, the beat production, or the beat, excuse me, the beat selection was the difference, right? right. And I'm not talking about mine, like mm-hmm. mine or his. I'm talking about even before we met you, like, to, to be completely honest, other than some people that I met um, a little bit later on, like, cause, cause we start working with you pretty early. Right. You were probably the first guy that I worked with that actually, and this is going to sound crazy that I like their music. Yeah. Before I touched it, before I came in and say, Oh, I got something that you might like. 
You're the first person I actually like their music. I can I can honestly say I was a fan of your music. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like even before I, that, I would still play it. I would still I play it. So, yeah, absolutely. So to my thing, that was always the difference is the beat, the the beat selection. And which we, leads me to a question that I have. How did you get how did you get hooked up? And I might be jumping forward a little bit. You let me know or you go back as much as you need to go. How did you get with Tiz and why? We we gonna get with my, my other we're going to get with our mentors later on, okay. uh, uh, Red Denali. But I'm talking about how did you get with Tiz and why, and um, and come up with – I don't want to jump too forward. Whipping. I fuck well, with whipping. So hold on. Jump too forward, right? Yeah, you jump forward. Why don't you okay. rewind a little bit, Dre? I rewind it after this, but I'm going to let you explain this, and I'm going to rewind it for you. Okay. <laughs> Which is one um, of my favorite songs. It's funny because whipping, whipping ain't that – that forward, it just took around for so long that it seems like it happened so much later. That's that's honestly, whipping is a product of whipping was the product of the first song where I understood what production was for a record. A lot mm. of the times, I was rapping on beats, and I was <laughs> if artists understand this, I was doing all my own producing, not not literally making a beat. But great producers have a way of of taking your vocals after you record to the beat that they give you, and then they'll come back with something that might sound completely different than what you went in there and recorded. That's, you listen to a Timbaland song or you listen to the reference to a Timbaland song and then you listen to that the end record, it, it's, it's completely different. If I hear, if people heard the reference to Whipping before Tizzo and them completed production on the record, mm. it would probably blow their minds. But I had a vision in my head because we were from an era where they chopping and screw things, so I knew I wanted the hook to be chopped and screwed. Uh, and I'm gonna be honest with you, they they exceeded what I wanted for the record. Okay. But um, I met Tiz. It's funny because I met Tiz before I met Denali and Red. So right. I got probably a hundred records with Tizzo somewhere. You know what I'm saying? That we didn't. But and here's the thing about Tizzo: he's very meticulous about the production side of his records. And so, um, a lot of those records are get put in what I call the back in the day we used to call it the Apple Circle of Death. If you had a MacBook and it started to do the Apple Circle of Death, yeah. then you could almost bet that that book was done, and you better try to just extract whatever oh, information shit. you can and get a new computer. And that's how a lot of the records with Tiz was because he's a perfectionist, and so if the record isn't isn't blossoming the way he think it should be, then he's on to the next. A lot of people might not know Tiz's history. He worked with Boston Man. He worked with he worked with a lot of people from that era. I don't want to just start name dropping, but I'm sure he worked with Boston Man. He produced some things for them, mixed and mastered some things for them. And so technically, Tizzo and um, Kilowatt come as a package deal. If you get Tizzo to um, make you a beat, then more than likely Kilowatt is going to mix and master that record for you. And if you can get those two guys to do a record at any time in your life, you probably should do it. But um, I met them through a couple of the other mentors that was in the building, and I think they knew them from both working on the Boston Man Project. So I had a bunch of... um. I guess, uh, managers or people that was over me that, um, that was helping me move my, or shift my career forward that had kind of like worked on similar projects because they was all from similar areas. And they had, mm. I think they had all worked with, um, Boston men and, um, they knew each other from the past and 
my friend, uh, my manager Showbiz kind of like wanted to see what it would be like for me to do a record with Tizzo. And, and Whitman was just one of those records that came out of it. So I kind of met him through Showbiz shortly after meeting Showbiz, actually. Mm, Shout out to Big Tizzo. So I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to hit the rewind button. <laughs> okay. We was talking earlier about, you know, listening to the records up north and you changing your style. Now, if you, that style that you came with up within New Jersey or seeing that shit, if you think you would, your career would have been different if maybe you would have kept that style instead of coming to New Jersey with it, kept yourself based in Atlanta and never left Atlanta because Atlanta eventually will grow into that style. You get what I'm saying? Atlanta will eventually pick that style up that you was already somewhat ahead of the game of. That's a great question. um, It's hard to say. It's hard to say because the team of people that I that I grew up around helped me develop into that. Mm-hmm. Like so, as an artist in Georgia, just just being honest with you, with the people that I was around, it, it was probably a ceiling to my growth. You understand what I'm saying? So when I came to New Jersey, first of all, I met a number of artists that I don't even want to start naming right now because I don't want to miss nobody. But I met a number of artists that that helped me sharpen my steel, like that made me get on my shit. You understand what I'm saying? Like, down here, I was running circles around dudes as far as rapping, as far as making songs, as far as you want to battle against me. Dog, I'm going to be honest with you. Right before I left to go to New Jersey, a dude called me out at a party to battle me. And we started rapping. And where he, he goes, and I rap, and the crowd goes stupid. His brother hops in. So at this point, they're like Jada Kiss and Styles P and going back and forth. Trying to wrap my kilt, these dudes, man. Like, and I'm talking about this is still an epic night that people come, and I have to be reminded of these things because I'm gonna be honest with you. Since then, I've had so many more fun memories that I don't even think about things like that. But people are coming to remind me, yo, you remember being at that party? You killed such and such, such and such. Yeah, I do. I remember y'all going crazy. I don't even remember what I said. I just remember the crowd just just responding in a way. And so, in a way, I was, I was kind of ready to go somewhere where where I could get better, where I could really go to the studio and record music because you got to remember, with, the, with this music shit, I had to learn a lot when I came to New Jersey. I was just telling somebody the other day I had to learn how to record a song. Like, I came to Camden and when I first came to Camden, my dog High Millions, he was, he was already building his name or whatever, he immediately wanted me to do a song with him. And he just wanted me to do a hook for him. I knew what hook I wanted to get. I wrote the hook and everything. I never had a problem writing music, but it was the point. Now I got to go in the booth and try to deliver this music. And I had no idea what I was really doing. I had no mic control. I didn't understand where I wanted the levels to be at in my microphone. Uh, I didn't know nothing about punching or ad libs or I ain't know I ain't know where to count in it. I don't. I ain't know none of that. You understand what I'm saying? So they really groomed me. Like I really went through artist development so to speak mm. and and that's what coming up there I kind of like did for me but um and I just don't think if I would have stayed in the area that I was in creating music I don't know if it would have developed to the level that it developed to to be honest with you but see I was saying that you said you was only a few hours away from what literally became now the hot yeah the hot bed of music yeah Imagine I taking that. I will tell you this, and I'm sorry to cut you off. 
I'm going to fast forward a little bit to a situation in which I was in New Jersey. I flew to New Jersey. Well, I flew to Philadelphia to do a show in Philadelphia at the Convention Center for a Black Latino Expo. And at this time, I had been in, I had been in Atlanta um, basically promoting music and meeting with executives from Def Jam, Jive, and Epic, Warner Brothers, one of them. And I, it was going really well. And I came up to do this show on a Friday night. We did the show. We go to the studio Saturday and Sunday. And on Sunday, it's funny you asked me that question because, in a sense, you're correct. But it happened later. So on that Sunday, I'm in the studio. And at this time, I had a son in New Jersey. Well, my old, well, my oldest son in New Jersey. He's still in New Jersey. But um, I hadn't seen him in a while just from being on the road, being in Atlanta, uh, doing music and shit. And so I just, I had I told my manager, Showbiz at the time, like, look, I'm going to stay in New Jersey. 420 Studios that we talk about is in New Jersey. So I'm going to record some music. I'm going I'm to, you know, I'm going to just stay in New Jersey for a little while. Everything is going exceptionally well in Atlanta, though. You understand? Showbiz literally looks at me and he says, why? Like, don't tell me you want to record music because he got several studios to record in Atlanta. At the time, I'm recording at Patchwork Studios. I'm at Grand Hustle Studios. Um, so he's like, you got the better studios to record in Atlanta that where, where people are at, where you can write music for people. And um, I didn't go at the time. And I think that's what kind of like shifted the whole dynamic of the Young Trey situation. Mm. Just to answer your question. But it happened Dang. later. I needed the growth in New Jersey. I'll be honest with you too. So to answer your question for for prior to that, um, I used to come to Georgia to do shows. I used to, I used to come to do a hell of shows in Georgia and, and leave out right after. And I remember on maybe about three occasions where somebody asked me, why you want to work with somebody in, in Georgia? Like, why you got to work with them? You know what I mean? Like, so to speak. Like, I had somebody, for real, it's a true story. He told me one day, he said, um, you know you're not going to make it with them. You got to come work with somebody in Georgia. He said, this was a guy, random guy that I knew from Dooley County. I was leaving. It was like a Sunday afternoon. I'm leaving to hop on the highway to come back to New Jersey. And he, he literally looks at me. I'm at the gas station. He looks at me and says, man, he can't make it with them. Okay. You got to work with somebody down here. But the thing is, I tried my best to bridge the gap. Like, I worked with everybody. I used to come Damn. to Georgia so much and try to work with everybody. Or, you know, it's hard when you stretch yourself thin like that, though. And and, and, it's, and it's still See, difficult. It's easy for me to get you answers looking in retrospect. You know what I mean? Right. Damn. See, the reason, the, the reason I have, and this is, I ain't this a question, but the reason I say that, Jersey, New York, and Philly, dumb dudes, at that point in time when we was all coming up, they don't listen to nothing outside of Philly, New York, and Jersey. Yeah. Right. Even though you was based out of Georgia, Georgia will listen to something from Chicago. Right. Just like New dudes York. from Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Cali, whatever. Dudes in, you know what I mean? Dudes in Mississippi will fuck with Georgia. Will fuck with Florida. Will fuck with you know, California, uh, you know, Eminem moving out of in in, in Northern America. Where right. us is is like we fucking like we so cause we had a foothold on this shit for so long, we are ignorant to everybody else. That's why we had a at that time we had a superiority complex right. in music industry okay. at that time because no doubt we ran shit. 
You know what I'm saying? Un- until, I mean, even when the West Coast was coming up, we were still yeah, running man. shit nonstop, yeah. dropping hits after hits. They always came. Everybody wanted to go up to New York to do music. You know what I'm saying? It was always known you go to New York to become a rapper, or artist of, of some sort in the music industry. You go to LA to become an actor or, you know what I mean? Something within that industry. So when you're thinking of like, I couldn't even tell you, we wouldn't put, we wasn't putting no TI CDs in no. the car at the time. I, I, matter I, fact, even, even when we was, cause there was a time we were fucking with Luda. <laughs> no. We was, we was yeah. fucking with Luda yeah. heavy. We was fucking with Luda. You can't say we weren't. Yeah. And, and, T.I. dropped, uh, when he did Rubber Band Man. Rocky brought that shit up. She Rocky, was la- living in Atlanta. My sister. She said, I see, she's like, yo, listen to this nigga called T.I. Right. Yep. I, and this is me, and I'm disrespectful. I say, who the fuck are I listening yep. to this country nigga for like, that's how New, yo, I'm serious. That's how New York is. Look, look, now you a down south motherfucker, huh? Hey, I fuck with him. him. That's how I fuck with them heavier than I fuck with niggas up here. When they dropped, when they started dropping, when they started coming up, that's when we started realizing, yo, there's definitely way more talent out yeah. there than just in this tri-state area. I mean, think right. about it. people when I when I met people that wasn't from the tri-state area, they ain't know nothing about state property, Benny Siegel, none of that. There's a there's a lot of people they ain't know nothing about Joe Buttons, even with Pump It Up. You yeah, know, they know what I mean? Like they, don't. they didn't they don't know about that. You know what I mean? Some, and and they're not come up to, to it. Exactly. Right, no. Exactly. So we 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 were just yeah we, we was just, ignorant. We, just, I, we was just bro, very, I re- no, we was just the shit shit. I, I remember going to my cousin's house in North Carolina for a family reunion. This is like oh, this is like oh four, and my cousin said I'm gonna put this in. Had a mixtape. I said, "What the fuck is this? Oh, this is nigga called Young Jeezy coming up." Like fuck yeah. Young Jeezy. I'm like the fuck is a Young Jeezy? Exactly what I said. The fuck is a Young Jeezy? Start mm-hmm. playing that shit. I'm like, like, still had my North ignorance, but I couldn't help but like, just nigga yeah. playing some shit. Yeah, easy brought some shit to the table. It happens. <clears throat> so, and I watched easy. I watched it was easy. a life changer. I watched easy come up. So I watched that's it. what I'm saying. So how that's hard it was? Huh? Like how hard was it for you? Because you can still hear it in your voice. You still have that. You know, that South accent, like, how Southern fucking hard was you? Yeah, fucking with these dudes up here in North. Like, what was they saying when you was doing shows um, and shit like that? I'm going to be honest, man. I never got nothing but love from New York. Now, that could have been because of the political relationships I had. I, I've mm-hmm. always been blessed. People like my personality. So if I get to meet you and you put me in a room with somebody long enough, I, I might win you over if we have a long enough conversation. I think that worked for me in New York. Now... What what helped me was that the music kind of like spoke for itself. And I mean, everybody around me was very serious and 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 dedicated to what we were doing. You know what I mean? I tell I tell you, but you can't. I've never seen a motivation from a group of people like like I've had for myself ever again in my life. Mm-hmm. But um, because of that, everybody was so focused on what they was doing and they were so hungry, bro. It gave me a confidence in that area. So when I went around people, first of all, I'm going to be honest, I had a confidence that I'm from Georgia, you from New York or Philadelphia or anywhere in the tri-state area, and I would out-rap you. And I really felt that way. So niggas would come to the studio and they want to do a song with me, and they're going to say, I'm going to out-rap you. 
that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna act, first of all, I'm gonna do it with passion. I learned the technical side of making music, which is mic control, studio etiquette. I learned that presence. So when you when you know that, I'm gonna tell you right now. If 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 you're going to listen to Tomorrow by Glorilla and Cardi B, and because I have a musical ear, if you go listen to that record, and I just want y'all can listen to it today after we get off, and you listen to Cardi B's verse, I mean, and you listen to Glorilla's verse, you're going to automatically know, if you've ever been to a studio, that Cardi B's verse had a little bit more tender love and care mm-hmm. added to it. And there's a crystal clear difference in it. And if I brought the sound engineer, see, I, and all these people that I had in my life were top of their class. I had the top of the line sound engineer. So I was I was privy enough to learn these things. So it helped me in all other areas of making music. It helped me in efficiency so I can make a song quick. It helped me in understanding what beats to pick like Dre was just saying earlier. I know I heard just heard 50 Cent in the interview say earlier that a lot of new artists that get with a producer that is that is decent or well-known, and they'll pick the first beat that they get, them, as right. opposed to sitting back and saying, hold on, let me see what else you got in there. And see, that's me. I'm the one, though, the only difference between me and what 50 would do to Drake is I'm the artist that would go to a producer and say, play me all the beats that you don't want to play me. And all my producers will tell you right now, play me all the beats that you don't want to play me. Uh-huh. Tell you another one of my tricks. Hey, what's the name of your beat? And they'll tell me the name of that beat. And in my yeah. mind, I'm already like writing a song called that. Why the fuck would I change it? So if your beat says uh, Rambo, well, hey, guess what? Now we got a song called Rambo. And the, and yeah. the, and the, 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 the concept behind the song is going to be Rambo-ish. <laughs> so, so I learned all these little tricks to like make music. So when I, when I, deliver, I, I was just telling a chick the other day, I was having a conversation with her, and she was talking to me about some business ventures that we, that, that she want to see how they would go or whatever. And she was asking me, what are you most confident in doing right now? And I told her, man, it's only one thing in my life that I'm extremely confident in. You could put me in any room with anybody at any time. And I would do whatever because I'm so confident in that area, and that's making music. Hmm. Okay. So okay. it was, it was, it was a bunch of things. But I told I had great mentors, man. They told me on top. I remember one of the first songs because, like I told you, I only had the Blueprint album from Jay Z. So when I came to New Jersey, they made me study music, like no lie. Yeah. Like so, now I got Volume One, Volume Two, S Card. I got Blueprint Two, Three, yeah. uh, whatever else he had. And one of the songs that um that I bit from Jay-Z, and I'll say that now, but I be excited video for it and everything was big 50, not dollars. I brought some dough with me. And that one line changed my scope on music. People might not get it, but it changed my whole scope on music. And that thing you're talking about with Jesus, where you say, oh, Jesus saying some shit, that one line taught me how to do that. Because if you, if you ever listen to that album, he talking real greasy. And that's basically what captured the northern people for Jeezy. It wasn't that he was doing anything differently than any of the other southern rappers. It's just that y'all caught that slick shit he was singing. Absolutely. So if you go and you listen to any hip-hop head that fell in love with Jeezy from above the Mason-Dixon line, they're going to tell you, yo, he was talking real greasy. That's how they're going to say it. And I had to learn these words and terminology. So with shit like that, that's my thought. Like, what the fuck you mean he talked greasy? 
He was like, yo, he talking slick. He talking that shit. He talking yeah, that shit. You know what I mean? Birds fly down south for the summer. And it be simple lines like that. And I, I'm like, oh. And when I clicked into that, I don't care how many punchlines you put in your verse. I'm going to give you reality rap with that greasy, slick talk shit. And I'm going to beat you every time. That coke talk. I got yeah. two questions. I got two questions for you. Two questions. Okay. And I might be I might be wrong about the first one. You let me know. When did Def Jam come into come into the situation? At, if if at all. Okay. And two, why two why two whipping videos? Okay. Def Jam did come into the situation. Def Jam. Shout out to Def Jam. Def Jam gave me a taste of what having a real deal was like without having to suffer a real all the real deal consequences. Um the dude who, who was behind it was a dude by the name of V. Johnson, uh, Vance, Vance, Vance Johnson, I think. He's a good friend of mine still, but he showed me a lot in music. And again, I was blessed with great relationships based off of other situations. And I run into people who fall in love to my character. I was introduced to him from a dude from California. His name is Slip, Super Slip. His real name is Anthony, I think. But um, he was a crip from, from California. And they, they, he's what they consider angelic crip, meaning he had been through so many situations with the crips in California that he should have died. And so they stamped him as an angelic crip, meaning wherever he went, he was, he, he was like a made man of the, of the gang world, so to speak. And, um, Super Slip really took me on his wings. And when I, when I met Slip, he had moved to Atlanta, but he had a great, a great camaraderie in Atlanta. And V. Johnson was Slip's cousin. So that's how the whole Def Jam situation started to brew. And um, that happened at, after whipping, before Shoebox Money. I mean, yeah, before Shoebox Money project. That's my shit. Yes, that's yeah. my Shoebox Money. That's my shit. Yeah. And so it happened around that time. And I was I was living in Atlanta then, and I was just going to V. Johnson office every day, and just and and he was just pouring game into me. Just showing me how to move, showing me what to do, showing me he 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 actually helped me conceptualize the shoebox money project. Um as far as like what to name it and how to how to garner a following and um how to just package an entire project. So if you go back okay. and look at how we packaged shoebox money, man, we did shoebox money, we did covers, we did flyers, but we also did an actual piece of shoebox money with my face on it and we turned it up. We printed up, man, pounds and pounds and pounds of this money over Philly, matter of fact. And um true story, we printed up so much of this fake money that when we went to print up like the last couple of batches, we had to find a new printer because the guy in Philadelphia said he couldn't do it anymore. Oh, like shit, it was he, it was illegal for him to do it. That's how much shit. of that money we had printed up. But we built the whole campaign around that money. Um but long story short, man, that that's when Def Jam came in, and it was a great situation because it allowed me to go to pretty much all the video shoots. So I went to a bunch of DJ Khaled's um, first We the Best video shoots, the Ace Hood video shoots, the um, and I met a lot of people during this time. And I, and 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 the good thing about it was I met a lot of people over and over again. So mm-hmm. even if it wasn't different people, I might see Ross in April. And then I, I fuck around and see Ross again in June. So now I'm just I'm just meeting the right people all the time. 
You know what I'm saying? I might see Scott Storch. The true story about Scott Storch, seeing Scott Storch one night in a club in Miami. And then a few weeks later, we go down for, um, I want to it was a Shop Boys video. It wasn't part of like a rock star. It was like the next video that they did. And we go down and I, and I run into, um, Scott Storch again. He knows who I am. He's, he's talking this, man, this brand new brown paper bag come to the studio. I was with two beautiful women that I had met in Miami. Just, just as a disclaimer, but um, <laughs> and he was looking at one of them and he was loving her. She was beautiful. He was like, look, this bring the lady with the glasses, which word. But it, it had got to the point where I was just around these people so much that um, you know, the relationship was building, and I was starting to see these people. They were starting to understand my music. They were starting to, to, to realize, oh, he's gonna be around. And I started showing up for uh, building a relationship with Briscoe, who was signed to Cash Money for a while. And I started showing up to those things. And then eventually, I met Shakir Stewart at Ace Hood first video shoot. And the Def Jam thing, him and V. Johnson had a very, very close relationship. And so the mm. Def Jam thing started to come, like, full circle. Then. And that was the reason why I um, hesitated to do situations with, like, Universal Record and Jive Records because because I was being shown love. Like, they was allowing me to use the Def Jam imprint. I was getting clothing shipped in from places that were shipping clothing to Def Jam artists. And I'm, I'm talking about True Religion. Back before 2, two Chain started rapping about True Religion, I was getting boxes of True Religion um, sent to the crib. That's like, right. so... Um, yeah. It was it was just one of those situations. And it was one of them labels where... I told you I always grew up getting albums and stuff. And you see Def Jam. I can sing Def Jam my whole life. So mm -hmm. Def Jam is like a dream label for me. You understand? Know yeah. So it, it, then the guy who's behind the situation, Shakir Stewart, he's he's responsible for Ludacris. He's responsible for Rick Ross. He's responsible for the Jesus situation. He was responsible for Boys in the Hood. He has an EP on a Janet Jackson album. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. You know what I'm saying? So he was like the perfect situation. And um, rest mm -hmm. in peace to Shakir Stewart because I think I think it was 2008 he ended up committing suicide so that kind of like you know kind of like killed the death jab situation so to speak I can't remember the second question you had outside of the why two whipping videos and oh, before, oh before you get to that before you get to that what Ross say to you about whipping um Ross loved whipping man I got a funny Ross story about that whipping song after we recorded that whipping song I met with Ross in Philadelphia, uh, left the studio, came to, I had a good um, relationship with Cosmic Kev too in Philadelphia. Yep. And he called me over, Ross up here. You know, this is after the whipping, um, this is after Ross, I mean, Kev done played it on the radio, Ross done signed the verse back, everything. So, you know, everything's solidified. I get to Philadelphia and it's me and Ben and showbiz and we go over to the radio station and I meet Ross DJ Khaled is there, so we go on a tour bus. We sit on a tour bus. They watching um a basketball game. It's like playoff times or something. Um, yeah. And you know we just kicking it. And he's telling me like, man, you should come to Miami so we could shoot us a video for that song. He said, I think they'll love it in Texas. You know what I'm saying? He use all my cars, and I'm sure he probably had a collection that he has now, but. Yeah, he, he had several cars. And uh, we went to Miami. Uh, we, we did try to make it happen. We tried to bring that to fruition at a point. But uh, his schedule at the time was just crazy. In fact, we was watching the game on the tour bus, and they was playing on uh, We Taking Over at the basketball game. And I remember thinking to myself, as I'm watching them, listen to them 
being played at a playoff game for the NBA, like, yo, they out of here. And I'm sitting on the bus with them. You understand what I'm saying? And yeah. But in my mind, I'm also thinking, boy, you lucky you got that verse already because they out of here. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And if y'all don't remember, when We The Best came out, probably one of Wayne's craziest verses as a feature, and everything else for DJ Khaled has just been historical. The two whipping videos happened because the first video we shot in New Jersey in Dooley County. And right. um it was a good video, but I think at the time a lot of people was feeling like Kev feeling right now, like why you didn't just take advantage of Atlanta. So the right. entire second video was shot in Atlanta on very well known streets or car washes. And um it was just something we felt like we needed to do to push the video to the next level before trying to shoot a video with Rick Ross or before trying to do something else with that situation as far as the remake. So we shot the second video in that level. And that's, that's, that's really why it was just a, it was more of a strategic move to try to like, um, garner more support from that level. So yeah. I'm gonna be honest, man. That that second video, though, like I like the first video just because I'm like, all right, yeah, it was, you know, it was fire. I think y'all was at the Piggly Wiggly too down there, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, but then when the second joint came out, I said, Ooh. yeah, man, it was different. That's you. I said, I said this one, I said, this one on this one on 106 and Park. I saw it on one of like, yeah. you know, what I'm saying that's where I saw that mental. I'm like, yeah, this is 106 and Park joint. This joint gonna go, yeah, to it was the moon. Different. Yeah, it's crazy because um. Even in Atlanta, even in Atlanta, shooting that video, like I said, I'd be looking at some of the back behind the scenes footage from that video, and mm. the response that we got, even in Atlanta, was crazy, bro, for real. Like, and after that, we dropped shoebox money, and it really went crazy after that. It really, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. I really didn't have nothing else to prove in Atlanta at this point. It was just a matter of um, following up whipping with the record that was gonna just, you know, put your own vehicle. So, so not, so not proving that in Atlanta, you in New Jersey. This is what brings us to our time in 420. Right. <laughs> so, if for nobody who knows 420, like explain 420, cause we got our own stories of shit that happened in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll bring the life division 420. 420 is a is the birth of trying to get out the hood, bro. I'm gonna be a hundred with you, so I just go back. We initially had a studio in Camden, New Jersey, on Hatton and Kane, and I, I I created Hatton and Kane. I said a lot of songs. Been to that joint. Uh, follow up on me. Hatton and Kane was Hatton and Kane is where I learned it all. I saw the speed basement, big speed basement. And, oh, and, oh, not and to cut was, you off. That's the Go tattoo ahead. joint on there. That's the, the green building that was on the corner. Yes, I think. on the corner. It said yeah. right across from the Donut Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. across from the Donut yeah. Queen. I just sat in that studio on the top floor. Because the studio sat on the top floor. On the middle floor, we had a guy who did photography and stuff. And he was, um, you know, he had with a lot of photo shoots and shit like that. And then on the bottom floor, it was a a store. Uh, you know, the little store, the poppy store, whatever. Yeah. But, um... That's what we really started it in Canon off Hadden and Kane, bro. And it was a beautiful experience. Like, I, I mean that in, in, like, really to use the word beautiful because I met so many people. I learned so much about, about Canon. Like I said, it was a real culture shock. I could really sit in that, in that studio from the top floor, look down on Hadden Avenue and 
and, and write three or four songs just based on what I was looking out the window at every day. You know what I mean? From transactions, from jump out boys, from if it's hot enough, the type of women you see walking up. Y'all been in Camden, y'all know. I worked um, in Camden. I mean, the thing used to hang out there every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Hatton and Kane was one of the busiest intersections in Camden. So it was like the perfect spot. Like when I got, when I got, and I probably never had writer's block. And I say that so I don't never get it. But um, when I when I just wanted to breathe, bro, I would walk downstairs and literally just stand in front of the studio and 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 really just be be completely inspired all over again. Like, and I'm just being honest with you. But it, it Camden got very outrageous, and I remember doing exactly what I told you. I walked downstairs one day and I stood in front of the studio, and I had been warned by the OG several times. Shrimp, don't hang in front of the studio. Don't hang in front of the studio. It, the jump out boy is crazy now. So at this time, I don't understand what a jump out boy is. I don't know they're talking about cops. I'm thinking they're talking about some local hard head niggas that think they're just going to jump out on me. So, you know, the tough guy, young boy mentality, like, ain't nobody jumping out on me. I'm going out here with the niggas I know that be in the studio with me. I'm about to see what the hell Camden got to offer. And I, I'm dying there one day and they the jump out boys pull up on the corner. Everybody get down, get down, get down. And after that, they explained to me, like, you know, if any, anybody would have got caught with a pack, y'all always going to jail. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, that's what you mean by the jump out boys. And so I, I think that the OGs that was over me in the studio scene that I was so captivated by Camden that they felt it was better to take at that time what they figured was the prize possession and move him somewhere where he could have a peace of mind while recording and not have so many distractions. So we went and found the building in um, West Berlin. And I remember the situation taking so long to come into fruition that I came to Georgia for a little while. And um, I, I didn't come back until one day Showbiz and Ben called me and they, they on the phone, they jingling keys, not, not on FaceTime, but I can hear them jingling keys. I'm like, what is that? Oh, we got the we got the keys to the studio. And in the next breath, I tell them, well, y'all need to send me a plane ticket. <laughs> it's time to, they sent me a plane ticket and of course nothing was put together but it was just good to be there through the whole process like we built that studio I tell people now nah, my name is written in the in the structure of the building like I wrote notes to myself before putting up sheetrock or building booths or anything on the on the walls like yeah and that, that happened it happened kind of quick like I went to New Jersey and you know I still was recording every day at this time though you gotta remember I was going everywhere to record I tell people I recorded at every major studio just to understand the experience. I report I recorded at Quad Studios in New York. I recorded at Larry Goes in Atlanta. I mean in uh, Philadelphia. I recorded at Patchworks and like I said, Grand Hustle. I did some work at Stank Only in Atlanta. Um man, I, I I've been privy to really be around some of the best engineers or sound sound people or whatever you need in the music game. So as far as having a, a, a stoppage of recording, that didn't happen. But it was just just being in that moment where we were building the studio and the anxiousness of opening for a 20 studio. And even after opening it and having all the equipment laid out and everything, it still took a while to, you know, because you had to build this team of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guys that we had in Camden, they wasn't necessarily coming to New Jersey because the same things they want. I mean, they wasn't necessarily coming to West Berlin because the same reasons why they wanted me out of Camden. That's why they wanted to be in Camden. Like, mm -hmm. it's inspirational. Like, you see a bunch of crazy shit, but it makes for the best music. Like, pain and frustration or coming out of a hard situation, 
I don't think nobody will argue with me. It makes for the best music, and you see it every day in Camden, especially around the Hatton and uh, Hatton and K area. But um, yeah. we just we we kind of like split the teams, and we end up building the team at four twenty, which ended up being you guys and um, Denali and Red, or Keith mm-hmm. Kelly, uh, Showbiz and Jen, and mm-hmm. all these people, Tizzo, yeah, all these people who came in and kind of like helped four twenty become what it became. And um, we still had the team over in Camden, which was um. Uh, Shiz Beats, uh, Cool V, yeah, and uh, a number of people over there. And so I tell people now, I still got whole projects in Camden that you know the the, the same way the guys who used to be at 420 called me and said, "Hey, man, we need to put some of this music out." And I asked them to just send it to me because it's been a while now, and I don't really know what some of the music sound like anymore. But um, yeah, I get this music, and I just be like, "Damn, we do got a lot of music." Man. See, bro, yeah. you don't you don't understand like we came in the 420 we came in as interns like right. it was when we came through the door they let it be known this shit right here is being made for trey first yeah, and yeah. everybody the fuck else like you was the like like i said how early you walked through you was like the guy like that's the nigga like yeah. you don't understand when you came through the building, we opened the door. It was like this glow from this one dude. <laughs> said the glow, where is more like a Michael Jordan glow? Like yo, this is our chance, Dre, to get the fuck out. Like we gotta make some heat for this dude to get the fuck out of the studio because we never seen nothing like that. Never. Y'all did. Y'all did. Y'all did. <laughs> I tell people all the time, man. Um, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like we failed at music, bro. We just stopped. You know what mm. I mean? It was like a halt. It wasn't like uh, we got to a situation and it was like, oh, no, nah, y'all not going to work. Because uh, I, I, I'm telling you, I was always open. I mean, I was always welcome with open arms at any. Um, and I've had countless amounts of meetings with record executives that, that people would love to meet still to this day. And I was never met with closed arms like, oh, you're not going to make it. It was always like, yeah, you want to hear the way. I still get calls to this day. I I name dropped this person. Her name is Miss Arlinda Garrett, and she was a major radio promoter for all the masterpiece stuff dating all the way up to Tank uh, Winwe. And she tells me all the time, send, send me messages on Instagram all the time. Yo, Trey, I just need one hit from you. I do the rest. Just send me one hit. And it's crazy because I have to tell you, people ask me, I said, Trey, help me get to the next level with the new shit. And I asked them one question. I said, what you going to do if it works? Because a lot of people are not really thinking about it working. They automatically assume it's going to fail, even if they come to you and make you feel like they believe in it. And so my question would be, then what you going to do if it works? You love your family? Are you a real family man? Because you might be gone for six months at a time. Are you ready to get up every morning and not go to a job that's guaranteed to pay you and go do something that you got to get it out in the mud every day like you hear people talking about? Like, And it's a different type story that I have to even ask myself. You know what I mean? Like, Because it, it requires a different type of commitment so I, you know I take all of it in now and just and I'm just grateful that we was able to you know, I accomplished a lot you know what I mean like the, mm-hmm. the, like I told you, the relationships that I have when I when I when I do decide to name drop people and tell people the things I did and I just tell y'all one thing I tell people all the time um I tell people my mixtape history because it gets it, it, it makes you understand my growth and this is how I go down and I drop six mixtapes in a span of maybe five, four or five years. And those mixtapes went from, I'm from the Macon and Middle Georgia area. So the first mixtape went to the Clear Channel DJs down here in Macon, who was 
um, DJ Dirty and Shorty Slim. And then that garnered enough attention for the, for the, for the local community. So then I went to of a more national type person to host the second mixtape who was Mad Links from at the time he was on BET Rap City. And so I figured yeah. who better to try to garner some national attention. So then it was to my strategic sides. So now it's, all right, I'm in the Philadelphia area, but I'm going to make a Southern mixtape, but I need a reputable DJ. Somebody had a relationship with Raymond Mob, our um, brother, our real brother, who is Raye, and me and him has been very close for a long time. And um, he said, you know, who is Remy Ma's DJ, who is DJ Bedtime. So he did the third mixtape. Oh, so, well, I started getting slack trying to play music, um, being in Jersey that I'm 15 minutes or 20 minutes from Philly, that, well, why can't you mess with nobody in Philly yet? You in the area all the time. So, hey, let's go to Cosmic Care. Y'all, number one mix show DJ. I did a mixtape with Cosmic Care. Then, then they like, oh, you blowing up up top. What you going to do about Georgia, Trey, same thing Kev been saying um, all day. So I said, okay. I went down and did a mixtape with the affiliates, which was Shoebox Money. You understand what I'm saying? So I really, I really was able to, I really was able to do what I wanted to do musically. You know what I mean? I've been in situations where I walked in and they telling me, yo, what you want, $400,000? And at the time, I, <laughs> at the time I was around, gosh, I had $400,000 in the crib. And so they looking at me across the table like, Trey, you taking that? We got four hundred thousand dollars at the house. You know what I mean? But looking back, I probably would have been smarter to do that because it would have probably took some strain off of people. And how I look at it now, if you really believe in the in, in the situation that you're trying to create, then you would take it for the machine power as opposed right. to the money. Because then it's gonna put you in a situation yeah. that that you that you should be able to navigate through. So yeah. But um man, I went through I went through the highs and the lows of this shit. You feel me? Like I feel like Nipsey said in the interview, I experienced every emotion in this musical journey. Like Damn. I mean So bro, yeah. let me ask you a question. What where you think you would be at now if you had that same hustle and drive, you know, as far as the music, now with the streaming being able to push your shit Whatever, you know what I mean? And your shit can be heard across the globe. Like we like you think you would have had like a different trajectory? I definitely would have. Uh if I would have just so my big word now, bro, in life is execution. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the times you can have a brilliant idea and if you fail to execute on it, it's 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 that's all it is, is an idea, right? So when we was in the studio on four twenty, I remember these same OGs I keep talking to y'all about, I remember begging them for certain equipment to do certain things like cameras and these crazy cameras that you'll see them over Philly using to shoot the hip-hop awards, whatever they was doing at the time. And he would get these cameras, and I would have these cameras, and I would have um, the guy Condito with Ronald. I still love him to death, but we had, a, we had a, other than me recording music, we had a procrastination um, complex, meaning... And I'd and be a hundred with you, bro. I had all these ideas. I would have pioneered a lot of shit. You know what I mean? I had the idea to do an internet radio show long before niggas was talking about doing podcasts or internet radio for that, for that matter. I had a, um, I, I still post a, uh, what you call a reality show that we wanted to do from the studio called The Validation of Young Trey. 
And that's ultimately what that was, the validation of Young Trey. And the reason why we call it that was because I was going to let you watch me become validated. I don't know where the validation was going to come from, but what I felt like was if I put this show out and show y'all the, the making of a label, the making of an artist, what it, like just, they still don't do this to this day. Like you still have never seen a raw and uncut reality show of the, imagine if you had watched the making of QC the label. And you had watched the Migos when they met the Migos come in from when they recorded their first song to when little baby came to the situation, so forth and so on. And the and the attention it would garner because just like just like um sports, the musical industry is something that everybody is watching. Hip hop is the most searched music there is. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So if you built a show around it, now of course you had the show Jermaine Dupri had, and look at the numbers it did. Now imagine if I gave you a raw and uncut, even if it was just on a YouTube channel, the millions and millions of views that it would garner. Y'all was at 420. We ain't never do nothing spectacular as far as, oh, this is going to just go viral every night. But if we would have jumped on this movement long before this social media, thing, yeah, we would still be yeah. Probably making residual money from it right now. We'll probably have patent a model of how to create content. You understand what I'm saying? And Absolutely. those are some of the things that I, I think would have changed the trajectory because I've always had a, a mind. If anybody ever seen me in the studio, I was always reading. Like I've always had a thing for reading, a thing for learning new shit. I want to know what's going on in situation. Anybody tell you right now, one of the reasons why I can tell you that Def Jam never put me in a situation where other artists talk about being true is because I never signed paperwork to anybody. No one. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't because it wasn't because I didn't trust you or I didn't want to split percentages or anything like that. I wanted to understand what it is that I'm doing. Okay. You feel me? And and so really for those reasons I took I took a lot of time just to learn just to I learned every aspect of it, y'all. I learned how to market my own shit. I learned how to not just pick records, but I learned how to make records. Like, I learned how to look at D or tell Dre or whoever the case might be, yo, this is what I need. Like, I, and, and if that instrument isn't right, I know how to change the instrument. And I just kind of, like, started to understand me as an artist and what I needed to feel. I used to tell Ben all the time. That's one of my closest mentors. I used to tell him all the time, bro, you got to remember you sit in the studio and critique music that I'm making, right? But I got to go on stage and perform that said music. If I'm not comfortable on stage performing the music, that means the people are not comfortable believing it or buying it. Right. So you might pick a record, but it's still based on it's still based on how I feel about it as an artist. I can record a song and you can think it's a hit and I can think it's trash. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and, yeah. and so... Yeah. That, those are just some of the things that I, I think it kind of just helped me, bro. You know what I mean? And as far as talking about the trajectories and, you know, um, how we could have did things differently, I see it all now, of course. But at the time, it was, it was, it, it, first of all, it was a long time coming. You feel me? Because now we're talking about being several years in and going through, like I said, the highs and the lows of it. And um, just trying to understand more, just trying to understand everything more. Like I was growing up, I was I was meeting women who was no longer just you know flybys. They was like 
sustaining in my life. So now you're talking about adding a family dynamics. Um, I was, I was learning more about, uh, I tell people now I take five things to have a relationship and I don't care what kind of relationship you're in, whether you're talking to women or a woman or you are us creating a podcast together. And I tell people the five things is trust, um, respect, understanding, communication, and then love. And you can't get to love without having the first four. And, um, I think a lot, I think in that, in that relationship, the trust was kind of broken. Um, the communication was, was severed because it wasn't no trust. And it wasn't no trust because it wasn't no understanding. Uh, respect was just something you did because these are the people you still thinking, damn, I done invested so much into this situation that if it blows, I gotta get my piece of my, my share. So, um, it just kind of like, you you learn later, you know what I mean. But yeah, to answer your question in short form, yeah, hell yeah. I think if I would have known some of the things that I know now, yeah, it would have definitely changed the trajectory. Uh, I would have been able to pick what they call your mastermind better, and the mastermind is yeah. supposed to be the group of people that you put around you um, to help you achieve whatever goals it is you're trying to achieve. So yeah, it's it's crazy uh, when you when you really put it. Oh my bad, Kev. Did I cut you off? Well, I had a question, but go ahead. I'll go after you. Sorry, because I was just going to make a statement. Um, oh, good. I, I feel like it's crazy. My bad, bro. <laughs> I feel like it's crazy <laughs> that if you talk to everybody that came from kind of that camp, you know what I'm saying? It's near and dear to me. Like, I, I stayed for a while, especially after Kev left. It's like everybody, bro, everybody just stopped over right. time. Some people right. kept going, and then yeah. they stopped. But everybody just said you know what? Yeah. I, I fucking had enough. I tell people all the time when they talk, when they, when they ask me about music, I stopped maybe what, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And they, and I, I used to say it jokingly, but I really mean it. I said, bro, I said, dog, I don't do that shit. Broke my heart, man. Yeah. And niggas, niggas laugh. I'm like, nah, man, fuck you talking about it broke your heart. I'm like, nah, this shit broke my heart too many yeah, times. Indeed. I was like, I can't. I said, bro, you put this, you put emotion, emotionally. Yeah. You put a lot on this shit and, you know, whether you tried as hard as you could or you didn't try as whatever it is, you put a lot emotionally in there. And when it doesn't work out time and time again, for me, at least time and time again, I'm like, bro, I can't do it no more. I can't, I cannot put my emotions out there no more to be fucking stabbed in the balls. You know what you're saying? (laughs) Completely true. (laughs) Completely true. And and it's like everybody, everybody from that camp, yo. It's like um, I'll I'll name names. He's you know, uh, because I still fuck with Rid from from a couple years ago. Rid, Rid's a fucking businessman or some some crazy shit. Um, Denali down here, he doing this thing. I'm not sure what he's doing, but it's not music. Um, Shit, even car industry down here. Yeah, back in the car industry, casinos down here. Um, Tracy, oh, he's oh, down he's here. Yeah, yeah, and and everybody's just kind of doing doing whatever. Jason, I think Jason's still, he might still be doing it, but everybody yeah, just had to take. Yeah, uh, Jers, Jers is in Atlanta. He's in Atlanta. The last I time think I said he was in Atlanta, and he's he's dibbling a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it's just it's just crazy, and it's like I just never thought they would be like that from that point because everybody was so engulfed in this shit, bro. Everybody yeah, was like I, fucking. Mm. You know, I, I, I man, because I'm it's, it's, it's how much you say, um, care. Start losing your passion. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. At it's, some it's, point, you yeah. do, you do. It's like being in a game 
and you're in the fourth quarter, right, and you still got an opportunity to win the game, and you're not even a bunch of points behind, but the clock just ticking. You feel me? And every time yeah. you get the ball, bro, you like going three and out. And then they get the ball and they, they kick a field goal on you. So now you're down 10. You know mm. what I mean? But you still got time to win. But every time you get the ball, bro, they just like, and that shit starts to exasperate you. And, and your defense on the field for too long. Um, and, and y'all watch many games and I use that reference because that's really how I feel, bro. You feel like, damn, yeah. like I put so much into the preparation. I put so much into the, the team building and the camaraderie. I put so much into this shit, and slowly but surely, bro, niggas is getting injured. Your mm. fucking wide receiver then got injured. You know what I mean? The running back is crying on the sideline because his hamstring, bro, been then gave you 170. You know what I mean? But bro, we got nine minutes to go. I need 30 more, and 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 it, and, and it really came to that point, man. And then you got the the, the real shit that's happening. The offensive coordinator. And, and the coach, they fucking fussing on the sideline about who should have started in the second half. So now you got this. Um, it, it just started to fucking go into shambles, man, because everybody was expecting something to happen when it was so, when they thought it should have happened. When in all actuality, it's like being in the gym and you get to that last fucking rep and they said, if you push that one out, that was the best one you had all day. And that's what we was at. And we wouldn't push that last fucking rep out. What we did was take the damn bar, the dumbbells, and threw them shits on the ground and said, fuck it. You feel me? And never walked back foot. Yeah. And never stepped foot in the gym again. <sighs> damn. And that's man. what really happened. It was a, piece, it was huh? a lot of... Yeah. Kept hurting yeah. from that piece. Yeah, man. But it, you, just, you just made him feel... Terrible right now. Nah, I, 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 I ain't gonna lie. I think I was a, I was first to go. I was like, yo, I had my kids at home. I think my wife. And that's 13, a, a lot of that happened. A lot I think of that I was happened. the first to go because I started doing the music stuff. Y'all were coming to my crib when I had the computer. My dad got me the computer for Christmas. I had bought that little beat, John, and me and Lie Lyrical Lie used to make beats off the PlayStation, put them on the I mean, Xbox. That's how I mean, that's true. And that's then true. I gave Dre my program, one of my programs. At the beginning. And then that was when I was rapping and I used to do shows with Lie and stuff like that. And you just, I lost my passion early. I think I lost my passion when the police started fucking. But I'm talking about the 420 situation. I had my, my son was just born. And I remember I was coming, I was literally, literally going to my girl house, seeing my, holding my son for two seconds, turn around, going to that studio, being that studio, the two o'clock in the morning. Literally come home, throw my clothes on, just to turn around, take an hour nap to go right to work. And that was my schedule. And my girl was like, yo, what are you going to choose, us or that? I came to the studio, I had to drink all my shit like, bro, I can't do this shit no more. Yeah, it's funny. I remember all of this. I remember all of this. I remember, like I told you, I remember niggas having kids. I remember niggas coming to those crossroads where it was a, a decision that they had to make. Man, I remember this shit. Yeah, you remember Kevin right. throwing his uh, girl under the bus too? I know. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, now I see that's where we at with it. But hey, yeah, I threw my girl under the bus like I had to make a decision, bro. Like she told me it was her and them. Yeah, said, that's yeah, a decision. Man, How old is Ron Ron? Ron, Ron thir- Ron Ron's uh thirteen, be fourteen. That that's fourteen time. years ago. Yeah, no, but yeah. she was pregnant at the time. I was doing this shit, bro. Like she was pregnant at the time. I was going to them studio sessions. I remember one time she just, I, Dre was like, "Yo, you coming?" 
I just like I haven't doing this coming to this music shit. I'm gonna tell the story. It's a real true story. Coming doing it, only getting an hour of sleep, hour of sleep, and one day I knew I had to go to the studio, and my fucking body wouldn't move, and I was on the edge of the bed, fucking crying. Like yo, I gotta go to the studio. I said, you stupid. I literally said, you fucking stupid ass body, fucking move and get out of this bed. But I. I was just so exhausted. I'm like, I cried. Dre called me. I'm crying. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm letting my nigga down. A couple months after that, like, I handed my shit to him. Like, yo, bro, I can't, I can't do it. Like, take my shit. It's too much. Yeah, I'm not doing this music shit. If you blow, I don't want no fucking credit for that shit. Take my name off the credit. Run with that shit. Like, I left, so I don't want nothing to do with this shit. I don't, if you eat, you eat. I don't give a fuck. We did create these beats. Take that shit and run with it. You my nigga. Like, it's supposed to go with you, not me. Like, I quit already, so. Beautiful thing about Dre is he'd have pulled you in there regardless. Nah, I wouldn't have let that nigga, dog. <laughs> you nigga, you would have got dragged into that. But yeah, I wouldn't have yeah. let my nigga do that shit but to me, dog. With, like, with, just... with everything that you know now, learning everything that you've learned and going through all of your experiences, and this is, a, this is like a two-part question. Okay. Um, what what are What is your fondest memory or time period where you were going through this music shit and you know it was just like every day felt like it was sunshine and what was one of your most regrettable moments um one of my most regrettable moments I'll start with that is probably ah shit it's probably later you know what I mean like um I guess, I, I guess, like losing some of the people that I spent a lot of the time in this music with. Like, I don't know if y'all are aware, but one of the guys who used to be at the studio a lot, name was Bleak. Man, him was very close. He ended up getting killed in the home invasion. Um, DJ Ant Live, who actually started with me from Camden, had the educated thug music, did a lot of stuff with Peter Crack. He ended up dying from cancer yeah. not too long ago. Yep. Um, those would probably be the hardest moments because, like I told you, I grew up with these people. So when I when I see our, our like I had a brother who's been in the studio with me all the time, Chelly Cho, Chelly got got involved in an unfortunate situation. He might be spending life in prison. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was it was having these relationships with these people for such a long time that everything and like I told you, I remember what Dre is. I remember Dre having kids. You know what I mean? I can't tell you distinctly yeah. what was going on. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I remember kids having kids. I, I can't tell you distinctly what was going on at the time. What songs we were promoting. Nothing like that, but I just remember these moments because they were significant. Like he said about DJ Red, I talked to Red a few weeks ago. I remember when he had um, issues as far as like spending time with his kids, um, so forth and so on. I remember my brother Ben had issues with his girlfriend at the time, and she was my she's my cousin, and and she said, you know, what's up with this little hobby? And I remember them having real arguments because she called it a little hobby. Uh, so yeah, I, I, man, listen. Yeah. I just I took I, I take all this shit with a grain of salt, like for real, for real. And uh, I don't take none of it for granted. I really just I learned a lot from that period. So the 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 just the downside would be just um, watching some of the guys or the brothers that I, I grew up with, or did I learn everything about? I know the kids from when they was born till them going off to college or graduating college now or getting into their chosen profession. 
I know a lot about these guys, families. I've met most of these guys, parents. A lot of these guys done traveled with me across the eastern seaboard and came to Georgia, had some of my family cooking. Um, so that would be the, the one of the downfalls. Um, as far as the good times, man, I probably I, I I had a number of stretches where it was just really really good. Like every day, it was just it was just sunshine. Like I remember at one point, I was literally going like every two weeks, every three weeks, maybe I was going from Jersey to Atlanta. This is probably one of the most spectacular times of my life. Like just being able to um, wake up in New Jersey for a couple of weeks, then wake up in Atlanta for a couple of weeks, but but it's strategic because I'm able to do car shows and um, shows in Philadelphia and New York as far as the Funk Flex car shows and shit like that while I'm up here. Then I go to Georgia and do a Greg Street car show. So I'm, I'm mingling with all these people and it appears that that I'm everywhere. And in all actuality, I'm just moving around strategically because I done based myself in the tri-state area and I'm from Georgia. So it just, it, it I had a lot of periods of time like that. The whole Def Jam time was no money involved, but the access that I had to the things that I that I could do, it, I don't know how many artists who never signed a deal have that kind of access. Even now with social media and stuff like the rooms and stuff that I was in, or the or the people I was able to meet, the many of the three hundred thousand dollar cars I sat in the back seat of just to just just so oh you need to experience that Trey you need to, and I'm talking about from people I'm, I, y'all had a meeting with. L.A. Reed. Once I was, I was, I was meeting with L.A. Reed Jr. a lot at, at um, his studio called Hit Co. in Atlanta. Because at the time, I had a group of girls that we was going to try and promote called the Bad Girls, and so I had built these relationships. And these girls were from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Four white girls, um, Italian girls. They used to be at the studio all the time. Uh, De Simone was their last. I think name. I mean, yeah, I remember. Them. Yeah, the Bad yeah. Girls. And so I had, um, I had built this relationship. So I used to go to. Um, Doppler Studios in Atlanta. Doppler Studios in Atlanta was 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 where Akon recorded it. And so I tell people a story all the time. I met Lady Gaga before they decided to name her Lady Gaga. And we were sitting in the studio and we we're talking to them about Bad. Uh, I had a relationship with Blue, who was Akon's brother. Blue stayed at my house several nights um, while I lived in Atlanta. And so uh, I had this relationship with Blue. And um we was talking about signing these girls and everything and doing the situation with them. And it just helped me in a lot of situations as far as beer relationships. And the experience gave me an understanding of how the music game worked. Because, because now I'm in a meeting, having a meeting about a group of girls that I got to, that I want to put out. And so now the conversation is different because I'm not talking to them about me as an artist. Know what I mean, so now everybody's trying to look at this situation to figure out how is it advantageous for everybody. You know what I mean? So in that sense, you start to learn different terminology and different things to do that that ultimately help with the with my own career because you telling me the secrets on how to put out a group because we're both going to be uh, equally beneficiaries of this, which yeah. in turn helped me. You know what I mean? So I had I had some great space. I had a time where I spent. Um, several weeks in New York, um, messing with five mics and, um, my, my dog, Raye. Like I tell people, I went on an unconventional tour of New York City. So for the kid who came to Camden, New Jersey at 18 years old, who told y'all I probably had five 
um, New York albums. I went to New York and was able to really like go to New York. You know what I mean? Like, yo, Trader, go Marcy Project. Hey, this Queens Bridge. You know what I mean? They actually took me around and showed me all the different parts. I was able to stay in Brooklyn. Like I told you, I recorded in Quad Studios. I had a meeting in every major record label in in New York. And so my line, when I say I can, if I can make it from here, I can make it from anywhere, is, is probably in retrospect too. Because I'm still a kid from a small town in Georgia, and I never thought I would be. And I, I used to, I used to, I'm a person who savor moments. Now, a lot of people don't know how to do that. And so I use the podcast to use it as a teachable moment. I'm going to tell y'all people right now, you should savor moments. And what I mean by that is, is when you take a vacation, when they say you decide to treat yourself and go to Hawaii, how you savor the moment is when you get there, you remind yourself because, you know, we like to say, damn, that time went by quick, vacation over it already. So what I do in any situation in which I'm already going into a situation knowing it's going to be a pleasurable one, I, I automatically tell myself as soon as the situation begins so that I don't rush through the situation anticipating the excitement of it. You're in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you you just walked into Universal Records and you're from Dooley County, Georgia. Trail. Take it in. And so I do that and I savor moments. You feel me? So I've been to all the record labels in New York. I've been... You know what I mean? I, like, I... I Man, so as far as the, the the good stretches, I would probably say from beginning to end, minus the bullshit, I I learned so much, bro. I met so many great people. I got a partner in Atlanta right now. His name's Snakes, and he, he called me on a regular basis, and he says to me, Trey, you're probably the only artist I know that don't have to walk around looking over your shoulder. I ain't never seen you wrong nobody. I ain't never seen you snitching nobody. I ain't never seen you owe a nigga and not pay a nigga or or a nigga owe you and you trying to, you know what I mean, extort him or nothing like that because because I'm going to be honest, like I told y'all from the jump, this is one of the situations or one of the areas in life where I'm completely confident in. It's the, it's the 92 bricks had to crawl back. I'm, I, I feel like that situation, you know what I mean? Like I feel confident like Jay felt with that. Like, nigga, I lost 92 bricks. I, I can crawl back from this. So I'm the nigga in hip-hop, or in music. I feel like at any time, yeah, I lost 92 bricks, but I'm a, I'm a bounce back. You heard me? So I would say all of the stretches was good, minus losing a few people that was very integral to my growth. And, right. um, and, 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 and the better side of it, it just not prospering to exactly where I wanted it to go. Okay. Okay. All right. Talk about No My Art. Um, mm. No My Art is really like, uh, maturation of young Trey, you feel me? And okay. and I, I like to call it the illustration of um, culture and art because that's what I feel like I, I evolved to. You know what I mean? I'm with y'all now. I like the podcast idea. Um, I, I I like art, period. Like the movies, the I like anything that's artsy, basically. So normal art is basically that. It's my name backwards. A lot of people don't know that. My name is Trey Munn and it's my name backwards. And one day I was, I was on Facebook, a bit all the way literal with y'all. And, um, see somebody's name on Facebook and it's weird as hell. And I'm looking at the name. I'm like, why the fuck is their name backwards? And in my mind, I'm a, I'm a doodler type person. So if I'm sitting in a meeting or if I'm just waiting on some shit to happen. I got some pen and paper. I prefer to have pen and paper because I'm a person I like to write down a lot of ideas and shit. So, 
I started mm-hmm. doodling and my name backwards and the shit said no my art and I immediately went and bought an LLC for it. Oh shit. <laughs> it just um, made sense to me. Come on, man. Where, when's, come on. Where the podcast at, dog? I'm, I'm working on it. Um, y'all really just motivated me to go ahead and and, and put some things out. Put Because I've done all the groundwork, man. You know me. You just had a good conversation a few weeks ago about some of the final steps I need to put in place. And so that's what I did, man. But I'll be honest, No My Art is kind of, you know, I got the barbershop under No My Art. So I have a barbershop that I open. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to help grow that to a point where, I'm really not needed, so to speak. Um, okay. So that's where I'm at with that. And it's, it's, I use it as a scapegoat. I'm going to be a hundred, which I use it as a scapegoat to not do some of the other things that I, sh- I probably should be doing. But I've been very um, mindful of that lately. So I could just go ahead and really do what I need to do. Right? But like y'all said, though, bro, I'd be a little bitter about the music shit. And sometimes... I'll be honest, I'm getting my feelings, man. I, I, I'm still a person. I'm going to go to Billboard and check the top 10 records for the week or the top 100 records. I'm still a person. I'm looking at who the hell winning Grammys and why I don't see um, certain artists doing nothing, but they got walked away with a grandma, got a Grammy nom. And mm. like that was, was the things I aspired to. I'm the rapper that wasn't out here telling y'all, yeah, I'm from the streets. He come and find out it's GA seven one man, it's still the same. But I'm not the rapper that was telling people y'all I don't rap. Nah, I really I'm a musician, bro. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be from the streets. You understand me? Mm-hmm. Like some niggas want you to be like, yo, I'm a, I'm a street nigga. I don't rap. Nah, bro, I'm a musician. So, so a lot of the shit that happens in the music world, bro, it fucks with me mentally. I ain't gonna even lie to you. I watch interviews. I, I but I have no hate and bone in my body. And that's the shit that, that bothers me mentally because, because I'm the, I'm the person, right? Where you can look at a business and say, damn, I, where you can look at Diddy and say, damn, he screwed over all those artists. And I'm also the person that can look at the business side and say, damn, all those artists should have read contracts, bro. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's a size, it's two sides to every coin. So I'll be looking at shit like that and I have to be honest with myself, man, like, you know. Wow. But yeah, it's, but the podcast is coming. Wake up and dream podcast. I, I plan to have huh. um, at least two episodes done before the end of the month, uh, and I will be definitely putting it out everywhere so everybody will know when it comes. Before you even ask me, I said wake up and dream, and I like to inform people that that's, that's exactly what it means. Now I want people to wake up and dream. I want you to wake up and dream, bro. It's an action. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, it ain't just something cool like to say. that. Is what it I is. like that. I appreciate with, that. With all the people you named, in all honesty, like to me, doing the podcast and get, getting your message out, because that's what this is overall, that's what this is about. Like getting your True. message out, reaching people, you know what I'm saying? Like inspiring people, whatever, you know? Right. To me, having that podcast and even being able to reach out to certain people to, to, to show, like, yo, this is how you conduct business the correct way. This is how, you know, you know, however you choose to move forward with it, it's it's too important of a message not to get out there. So, right, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? I um, definitely agree. So, where can everybody find you? I know where to find you. Where can everybody find you? Where can everybody find the shop? Where, like, get, run it down, well, bro. The, the, the shop, No Mar Barbershop and Boutique, is located in Viana, Georgia. It's um, fourteen twelve East Union Street, Viana, Georgia. It's right off seventy five the Highway 75 or the Interstate 75, so it's very easy to get to. Um, music, y'all already know I got music on iTunes. 
uh, everywhere. Young Trey, O-G-Y-T, Trey, however you put it in, it's going to come up for you. Check out my YouTube channels. Um, Wake Up and Dream will be here very shortly. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that because I feel like it opens a different chapter for me in my life. And I really, I, y'all, y'all keep me excited about the podcast game because I do uh, try to keep up with y'all and see what y'all are doing and watching y'all growth. I remember seeing y'all when y'all first started and I was so jealous and not because <laughs> y'all did it before me, but because y'all did it right after I left fucking New Jersey. And yeah, I'm like, yo, how easy would it have been to just join their cast and be a member of the Opinionated Podcast? Because I, I feel like I have an individual relationship with all of y'all at different points in life yeah. anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. it would I, I, I just feel like it would have been perfect for my situation. But I will say y'all are, are an integral part of my um, influence to, to even try to do it. You know what I mean? To even try to keep doing it. And I, and I see the end game for it. You know what I mean? I see the... Um, I see where it could go. I see where it could go. Thank you. We trying. I mean, we appreciate we're it. figuring stuff out. Even four years into the game, this will be coming up on our fifth year into the game. We still working out yeah, kinks I, and bugs and trying to, you see, you it. know, yeah, we Man, structuring stuff it. and finding new, new paths of ways of getting revenue and things like that. But we got, we got big stuff coming up for 23. So I'm excited. I about love it. It's just going to turn I love it. Good. Look, look, I, Dre moved to Florida and the show didn't stop, man. Y'all get a hundred points. Yeah, yeah. That deserves yeah, we told him that. right there. Mm. Because if Dre can move to Florida and y'all can keep the opinionated podcast going the way y'all got it going, yeah, that shows the dedication. Y'all, y'all, y'all one step away, man. Yeah, we're gonna be boys no matter no matter where he moved to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, man, but, but keeping that shit, like yeah. you said, keeping that shit together, Try. man, is is that's we like the, the main box. thing, man. It just it yeah. just this podcast means a lot to all of them. Yeah. That's one, yeah, that's one more. Three best friends anyone could have. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really have a um, relationship with all y'all, man. I remember all y'all from different parts of life, from all of us doing yeah. different things, having our own separate conversations with each other. So, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a beautiful Dope. Yeah, Yo, we really got dope. some crazy dope. records, though, dope. Drake and Dad. Y'all have no idea, man. I know y'all probably. I was gonna fuck with y'all today and play one of those records. There. <laughs> don't do say, that. Y'all just put them no, on no, iTunes no, no, anyway. No, just no, drop no, them on no, iTunes. No, no. no. And, you know what? I thought about that because even it. after Dash left, me and Dre, I probably probably still had about. I probably still got another ten records from Dre that I recorded already. Yeah. On his beats, and I sent them to him from time. Well, after I recorded oh, them, I always send them to him. Yeah, but I still um, got yeah, a little. I, I, still I still got a big Dre and Trey EP. I still got it. That should be crazy. Listen, because Dre something so many beats over the years that some days I, I might get bored and I and I go through my email and I, I, I this is no lie. I literally type in Big Dre beats, right? And the number of beats that come up is amazing, bro. I remember I called Dre one time. Tyson Foods down here in Georgia. They oh yeah. To, um, they wanted me to do like a safe. Yeah. For for that for the company, how Dre, Dre, Tyson Foods want to want to do a safety song or whatever. He was like, "What it needs to sound like?" I said, "Some safety shit, Dre. I don't know." This guy hit me back probably forty five minutes later. I, I I had the song kind of in my head because you know uh, uh, a while ago, shout out to Nally Blue. Real quick, shout out to Nally Blue, man. Because a while ago, y'all, I was the guy who. 
I used to record so much music, right? And I was the person, when we went home from the studio at night, if I went home, I would go to the house and I would sit on the front porch, y'all, to four or five o'clock in the morning and just write. I'm telling you, I used to go over Philly and buy so many of those beats. And by the time I got um, in-house producers and they, and they had, they, they came to the studio thinking, oh man, I got 30 beats. You feel me? But they don't realize, I mean, I've been deprived at the beast for a long time now, so you probably got two left after I rap on all of them because I'm gonna rap on all of them. You know what I'm saying? And I used to be home writing to these beats to two, three, four o'clock in the morning, just sitting on the front porch and Washington Township, Washington Township, just sitting on the porch writing to these beats, and I would come back to the studio and just record so much music, man. So I got, I got so much music to the point it's ridiculous. But I say all that to say that. The work ethic, the the time and experience and all that shit, man, it's just, it, it, it's been everything for me. I kind of like lost what we was going with that, but it's been everything for me. Music. And, um, yeah, and now it's just, you know, I, I'm still there. Like I was telling, like the same story I said the other day, I mean, a few minutes ago, music is probably the only thing right now, if the person came to me with the right situation right now, I'll take it. Right yeah. now. Shit. You the right got situation. that one. Like talking to oh, oh. you, like I said, just dragging us back. It's just dragging me back to that dark ass room in the corner with the two chairs, two sets yeah. of speakers and monitors that we had in our little room. Where you oh, would man. hear us making something and you'll pop your head in there like boy. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do. I, like, I need that. <laughs> and close yeah. the door. I'm like, me and Dre look that. at each other like me and Dre look at each other like, yeah, we got some. Yeah. This nigga be yes, like, sir. yo, we gotta touch it up a little bit more. No, give it to this nigga. Please, oh, come on, man. Man. please, cause y'all already know. Oh, I was wrong <laughs> with that was cause the Nally, I was trying not the Nally because again, one of the things in the North that was going on, I was so unaware of. I used to write all this music in the middle of the night and D told me one day, you know, Jay-Z don't write none of his rhymes down. And I'm like, what? He's like, bro, you always talking about two bits, man. You got, you got writing all your rhymes down and shit. That shit, yeah. Like, he, he on my head. Like, nigga, you write rhymes. I'm like, uh, Kelly, Kelly Puncho, my, my brother Puncho, who was with me for a long time. He in the studio with me and I'm, I'm, I'm baffled. Like, yo, this nigga's clowning me. Cause I write my rhymes as opposed to think them in my head. D, oh, you that you write rhymes so fast, man. Let me see what you do without paper. And he 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 took me on a whole nother level to where I started writing music without um pen and paper. And this is this is after the second mixtape. So like any mixtape after that is literally the Jay Z way. Uh, that's what I call it, the Jay-Z way. And when I learned how to really do it, I remember producers used to come to the studio and they used to be like, um, I had one producer, Mike Jers. I don't know if y'all remember Mike Jers. And Mike Jers was aware of my way of recording. And he came to the studio one day and he was like, listen, Trent. It was like, we're going to, it's okay. We can try your way. But, uh, I'm just not sure you can write a good song without writing it. And I recorded the song for Mike Jers. And, and when I tell you, blew him out the water that he wanted to be at the studio every day to the point it caused a rift between the in-house producers and him because he wanted so much of my time just to record his music started bringing people and me and him have several good songs too but um yeah i just wanted to shout the guy because he helped me with the with the work ethic side of it as far as creating music and and, and really just running a whole another side of of, of making music bro it turned my it took my Productivity of and my songwriting ability 
to a whole nother level to the point you fast forward and I dropped a project in 2021 called Church Street. And um, true story, a producer gave me these records. He from he from down south, and I was telling him to y'all exactly what happened. In 2009, I dropped a project called Off Season. Off Season. If you go and check the numbers, it didn't do a lot of numbers, but it it it, it did fairly well on a mixtape circuit or whatever. And then you fast forward to 2021, and J Cole drops what they consider his greatest project called Off Season. Then Natalie Blue calls me on the phone and says, um, yo, yo, you see this shit? J. Cole dropped some shit called Offseason. You think, you think that niggas don't put shit in search engines and realize that that's an album already? I said, bro, you know, I'm, I'm already bitter from music. You know what I mean? So it's not much you can call me with that's not going to hype me already. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, yo, do you know me, bro? Like, what can I do? Like, I don't even have the platform to, combat this situation, right? So he said, I know what you can do, drop a project. And so, of course, me, I go to J. Cole's shit, look at I come on real tight. I've always been good at conceptualizing shit. I see Forest Hills Drive. So I say, shit, well, I'm from Church Street. Name me some shit called Church Street. You feel me? They really had no correlation to J. Cole. I like to tell people it was more of a influence, like kind of like just inspired me to drop this project. But I see all to say, I went back and I wrote this project. And the producer gave me these beats and he had gave them to me maybe for like a, I might have had beats for like a month. And um, we had this little day in the community that we from. And I hadn't even listened to these beats, but I had, I had reached out to him. Again, he would go to procrastination complex. So I had reached out to him and said, look, bro, I want to record this project. He had been trying to work with me all since we was having 420. This is a producer from down south that had been trying to get in touch with me for now 15 years to do some music. And we finally meet and he sent me a zip file of all these beats. And I don't even realize that in this zip file of beats, man, this is some of the best beats I, you know, I heard. So I finally see him at this community event and, um, he like, bro, you listen to the beats for your project? I'm like, nah. I'm like, you know what? Let's go to my truck. We'll listen to them right now. So we step off on the community event. And I'm just going through these records. It's a Saturday. I'm going through these records like, damn, bro, you really got some heat in here. So because because I worked with Denali and you guys for so long, in my mind, I'm already thinking about, I've already thought about the type of songs I want to put on this project because it's, it's been inspired by something else. Right? right, so in my mind, I'm hearing these beats, and I'm like, "Shit, this is all the ideas I'm already having." No lie, in this, in this car this day, I'm sitting there with him, and I go through about ten of the beats. As I go through the beats, we listen to the beat beats maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes long. But by the time the beat go off, I got the hook already, and my mind is so good at music that I can remember the hooks. You know what I mean? So now I'm inside the car with the producer after not listening to the beats for a month and I'm just sitting in the car with him I'm like shit okay so but like I told you I just came up with hooks and, and, and the simple ideas some of the melodies that day just sitting in the car with him I went home at this point I don't even know where I'm gonna record the project yet you know what I mean so I, I go home and I'm, I'm like damn this shit is coming to me too easy I think I I think I wrote 10 songs in 8 hours Feeling like I can't record them, and and this is where life really comes in. That because you start to think back and you be like, damn, I remember it was a time where I could make a fifty songs, and as soon as I think of them, I can record. 
So now, now I'm stuck with a dilemma. So now I got to find somewhere to record this music. So now I done came up with the hooks on a Saturday, basically wrote the songs on Sunday. So on Monday, I'm looking for a studio to record this music at. I found somebody to record the album. I'm going to go record the entire album in one drop. Do it on the phone like, yo, I don't know about that, bro. A whole album? How many songs you got? I said, it's probably about 10 songs. Like, yeah, that's a lot of time. Listen, man, just let me record my vocals. I promise you, 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 I got this. You know what I mean? Friday. Friday? Okay, that's even perfect. So now it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Now I'm just waiting till Friday. So by Friday come, I done rap these songs a thousand times in my head. God know exactly how everything is supposed to go. You feel me? I get to the studio on Friday. I leave. These, this book I done wrote every lyric into these 10 songs. I leave it at home. I have none of the lyrics to these songs. I get to the studio and I realize, fuck, I got a camera. I got all the studio essentials, but I don't have none of the songs that I just fucking wrote. You feel me? What I do? Click into Denali mode. You know what I mean? All I hear is Denali chewing me out. Nigga, JG can do it, nigga. Fuck wrong with you, but you the weak. Photographic memory kick in. I sat there and recorded every song in that studio without having none of the paper. And they looking at me, the dude tell me, I still text me to this day. Jack Moves, I think that's his name. I only worked with him at one time. Because I told you I did the whole session in one session. I did that whole project, Church Street Project, in one session from 10 a.m. to probably 3 in the morning. Shit. Dang. Right, damn. One without last break, without writing. Wrote it, left it home, and I just had to go in there, and I just, I just went off passion. It was, it was just... And that's when I realized too, though, like, you gotta remember, this is 2021. I realized, you know, too, like, damn, bro, it's just still, it's so embedded in you that, like, y'all would be honest, sometimes I think about music and really say to myself, yo, it's time to let it go. I, I, I understand what time Brady is at right now. And I ain't, I, I haven't won one championship. And I still understand what Tom Brady is at right now because then what? I, I invested so much time, so much energy, so much passion. Like, I crossed the point of losing the passion for it. You feel me? And, and like, you know how, I, I, I don't know. I'm at a point of no return. And, and But I'm also at a point where I don't even know how to, to answer my own questions right now. What do I do and how do I do it? I just, I just do what I do. You know what I'm saying? Shit. Just got deep on us. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> It is what it is. And I ain't mad at it. Oh, my God. Okay. It is yeah. what it is. Goodness yeah, gracious. Man. Man, I spent, y'all got to remember, man, I, I, I'm telling you, I spent 11 to 18 following a gospel group and recording secular music myself, though. You know, they had no problem with the music I was recording. But uh, I ain't going to say I followed them. But most of the time, they had a, a, a program or something with instruments or anything like that. I'm going. Georgia, I mean, Georgia... It's known for like black colleges or, or having battle of the bands. I went to several battle of the bands um situations. So it's just it, it's just always been embedded in me, man. For real. Even some of those people you're talking about, you gotta remember I had an opportunity of meeting some of these people later in life. Like a I never met Andre, I had a chance to meet Big Blood and Young Bloods, some of these people that 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 are legends in Atlanta. I've had a chance to be around, I had a chance to meet Wayne, had a chance to do songs with Dre, I done did songs with some of the Philly legends from Enes to Gail to, um, you know, a number of people. I 
the list goes on. So I had a, I mean, I've been, I've had a great time in the industry. But when people be asking me questions about why I still feel the way I feel, and I tell them, bro, because, because they let me, they let me enough in the door that I seen everything. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, I don't even say they pushed me. I'm going to say, I don't know what happened. Maybe somebody broke in line in front of me, but they never closed the door so I can still see the shit. You feel me? So it's not like even the door is closed. It's just, it's just understanding what it is you need to do to, to, to walk through it. Now, I do ask myself the question, like I told y'all earlier about, do you even want, because what if it works? You understand what I'm saying? And then you start to see some of the things that happen, unfortunately, like the takeoff or PNB rock. And you understand, like, these are, these are risks you put yourself in when you're talking about going off and making hella money, going to a bunch of cities or neighborhoods you ain't never been to. But the passion for the music always outweighs the consequences of it for me. So, yeah. Word. We, Goodness gracious! All right, answers that question. <laughs> I was about to say you answered that question for the podcast. What, 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 what are you gonna do if it works out? I'm gonna quit my motherfucking job. Oh, this will be my full time job. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This all I know. What, what that, yeah, yeah, that's the plan. I understand that now. That's the plan now. Like the plan is to just yeah. is to, is to create something in which you profit and benefit from. Like. You know what I mean? And, I, and I, I'm going to be honest, man, music taught me so much for life. Like, I, I'm sure athletes would say about their favorite sport or whatever sport they excel in, they're going to say that they learned a lot of life uh, values from it. And I say the same thing about music, bro. I learned a lot of life values from music, period. Like, right now, there's nothing you could give me as far as a service or product that I'm not going to understand how to market it. I'm going to market everything like I would a new artist or a fucking song that I'm trying to make a hit record. And that's what I do. With everything that I do, like, I treat it like, this is a new song. It was, I don't care if it's a bottle of water. It's a new song for me. And y'all going to yeah. listen to it every day. Mm. You understand? So I learned, a, and like camaraderie, being able to talk to people, being able to speak to people. Uh, you know, just being able to maneuver and network and accept criticism. You feel me? I'm yeah. okay with criticism. I'm okay with being scrutinized. I'm okay with being a villain uh, as, as well as being a hero. Like, so, man, I have no real regrets except um, stopping. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel like it was my responsibility to lift everybody. You know what I mean? That's one of my biggest issues is that I had all of these people, all of their minds, all of their hard work and time really um, working endlessly to put me in a position and I ain't gonna lie they put me in a great position but um I, I owe them you know what I mean I owe them and that's how I be feeling sometimes I say we do a zoom call with everybody right <laughs> yeah. do a zoom call with everybody everybody just go over their memories of the shit and let you yeah. know that it's you know what I'm saying like everybody yeah. probably landed in a better in a good position either way you know what I'm saying know. happy families and shit but I'm trying to talk to everybody call. Yeah, I try to yeah. talk to everybody and just touch out to them and see how they're doing and how life is going. Everybody that I was ever connected to going to tell you, like, your trade. It might not be often, but I will tell you this. It's way more than they reach out to me, so I'm winning. Absolutely, Listen, man, Absolutely. we appreciate, bro, real shit. We appreciate everything you did for us at that time, and you always just being a real humble dude. It's like you never 
You would talk like even though you came in through like a god for us, you would literally come in there and chop it up with me and Dre and like that yeah. shit meant the world for two fucking interns and seeing yo, this is that nigga that's gonna blow. Like we just gotta just hang in there and we we'll all make it. Like we, I appreciate it, bro. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure Dre feel the same way. I appreciate yeah. it, man, a lot, man. It meant that shit meant a lot to us, bro. Man, I definitely appreciate it all. Like I told you, man, I felt like y'all was just as instrumental to whatever success I was trying to attain that I was to y'all. Like, I had been taught earlier that you attach yourself to a producer to become the best artist you want to be. And in my situation, I was fortunate enough to have a bunch of them. And, and, and just like I told y'all, New Jersey helped me as far as steel sharpening steel and being around good artists. Uh, I think it did the same thing for y'all. You know what I mean? Like, I remember, um, Y'all were working on Fruity Loops when y'all came, right? Yeah. And I remember, I remember a bunch of producers in the studio being shocked and amazed that y'all was attaining the results y'all was getting using Fruity Loop. And that's the type of shit I live for. You know what I mean? To know that I'm going to record a song with Dre and Dash and it's going to be received just as much as if I recorded a song with DNA Beats. So I appreciate y'all, man. It was a great learning experience for me, bro. I promise you that. I don't think I don't think I could afford it if it, if it was a college of education. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah that was Seriously. dope. That was dope. I'm just geeking out of the fact they said Dre and Dash. I'm like, oh shit, I haven't heard that the, that particular name. I'm gonna let y'all go outside of your mouth. Name anyway. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, together in years. You know what I'm saying? That was funny. Like, yeah, because I still look at them beats, and that's what it say for me. Dre and Dash, <laughs> That I still that I recorded that still say Dre and Dash, man. I know Kev as Kev Dash Robinson. I'm sorry for the government, but that's what I know him as. You know what I mean? And uh, I like I, like I know other Kev is Kevin Barry, man. Like I met them uh, in different points <laughs> in life to right. where like I built relationships. Not not necessarily Dre. I mean Dash, but I built relationships with y'all when you know y'all went by different monikers at the time, bro. Absolutely. That's just yeah. Crazy. We definitely got a bunch of records, though. That was my kid. Yeah, yeah. Ben was been his dad. Got home several several nights, mornings, afternoons. Been to several of his houses. Mm -hmm. Been been as he he developed. I came to the different house. Like, yeah, that's true. Several of his houses. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. And I I mean, we tried to bring a lot of things into fruition as far as working with some of his artists, but timing and location was always. You know, I guess you, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely appreciate y'all over there opinionated podcast, though. Bro, we Real appreciate you, man. We'll get you back on here. Hopefully, we'll get on your show yeah. soon. And yeah, man. Next together. time, we can just have some um, general sure. conversations. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Opinionated Podcast. If you love today's episode, make sure to subscribe. Leave a review. Five stars. We don't want nothing less. If you're an artist, actress, a songwriter, an author, or you're doing something that's interesting and you want to be a guest on our show, please email us at opinionatedpodcastddk at gmail.com. That's opinionatedpodcastddk at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a blessed day.